Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope you've all had a great week and you enjoyed last week's episode with Marty Skrull, who is one of the up-and-coming superstars in the uh, independent ranks and, of course, the great event taking place outside of Chicago, all in and StarCast, uh, still kind of processing everything I witnessed there. But it really was uh, awesome, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Marty. Um he uh, has a great story. Uh, you know, he's from England, and it was really uh, cool to hear about uh, how people come up in wrestling there and uh, the way they have these independent shows and they think, you know, these uh, kind of carnivals where people go and they, they wrestle. That's what part of the, the entertainment. And that is, uh, you know, where you kind of cut your teeth in uh, fresh professional wrestling ranks. And um, now he's uh, doing what he's doing here in the States with uh, Ring of Honor and New Japan and uh, hanging out with the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes. So I really, really enjoyed that conversation. It's going to be fun to see what is next with those guys. Uh, keep an eye out, as I'm sure many of you already are. I hope uh, I think you became Marty Squirrel fans uh, after listening to his uh, conversation with me. But I think you're really, really going to enjoy uh, this conversation this week. I have wanted to get Sergeant Slaughter for... Uh, uh, a talk for a long time. We I, I, Over a year ago, I, I started to uh, try and get in touch with him and saw him at a few events 
And uh, he doesn't do a whole lot of these. And so uh, I was hoping to get an hour with him, guys. Um, it, uh, it was a lot longer conversation than that. We covered a lot of ground, and he uh, told some great stories. And that is on the way. Uh, before we get there, though, I want to congratulate John Owens uh, from Culpeper, Virginia, who won uh, my StarCast Performer Pass that I had when I was in uh, uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, for StarCast. And uh, that is on the way, John. I sent it out, so you will be getting it if you haven't already by the time you hear this podcast, but it is on the way. Uh, remember, you can get in touch with me. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. We've got a lot going on. We want to hear from you uh, to discuss with us uh, if you would like to see uh, some, I guess you call them streaming shows. I've got some ideas that uh, we want to do, and uh, I just want to find out uh, if you'd be interested in seeing that. Uh, one would be uh, watch along with uh, maybe one of the Saturday Night Made events with someone very special. I think you would really enjoy having uh, him with me and you hearing what he has to say about those events. So uh, email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. Uh, also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at primetimemooney. Have you been checking in on the YouTube channel, the Primetime with Sean Mooney YouTube channel, and of course Facebook where we put up everything so you know uh, what's happening and what's on the way. All right, with that, got to hear this conversation with Sergeant Slaughter. Let's get to it. Ding, ding, ding. Sarge, really, I, re- I really want to welcome you to Primetime with Sean Mooney. And uh, we would be remiss, uh, folks, if I didn't let you know that uh, we recorded this on 9-11. And, uh, of course, uh, 17 years ago today, uh, we had the worst terrorist attack ever on U.S. soil and I know that this is a special day to you, Sarge, because you really absolutely, and this is, uh, you know, this isn't a gimmick or a work. I mean, you are an absolute patriot. And I know when this anniversary comes around, it, it does affect you very much because you've been involved in the military and have also done so much with uh, veterans and, and also helping uh, people really feel patriotic when you're around. Yes, uh, I was at a memorial uh, today, earlier this morning. And uh, I just got back uh, from another uh, visit mm-hmm. and uh, to a school, and uh, we talked about it. And uh, you know, some of them, you know, weren't born, and, and most of them weren't born then. And uh, to hear more of a, you know, on-on uh, type of uh, speech about it, you know, it got their attention, and uh, they were well prepared. A lot of them uh, drew pictures and. And uh, one uh, little boy uh, said, you know, Sergeant Slaughter, the uh, the towers had uh, looked like the number 11. Mm. And, and I, I thought about it for a second. I said, you know, you're, you're right. It, it, it did have a, a number 11. And, you know, here it is, September 11th. And, and uh, it just shows you that they, you know, what what the young minds think about and uh it just uh kind of floored me kind of stunned me and maybe kind of uh back up a little bit but uh he wasn't meaning it in any derogatory way or yeah. bad way he just looked at it as uh it was the number 11. yeah and uh you know so many thoughts today that people are having um 
and you look back then and it was a horrific day and we are still people are still paying the price we have more and more victims of what happened that yeah. day uh with i think they're saying there's over 2000 more victims who have died since that day from all of the uh, carcinogens and thing uh things that uh, happened to their bodies after being around that site um but i also remember sarge when we came out of that how this country came together uh, you saw yes. American flags everywhere, and, and as I said, it was a horrific event, but it also really reminded people what this country stood for, and we really did see people celebrating this country for a, a long while there, and, it, and it's, uh, it's distressing to see at this point that we are, uh, that are, there are some people out there that aren't as proud of this American flag that uh, I know you and I are these days. Yes, yes. Well, we put the United back in United when uh, that happened. And uh, it didn't matter what uh, race you were, what color you were, uh, man, woman, child, uh, we all stuck together just like a military would and, you know, dug the foxhole and whoever was in there with you, we we fought to uh, make sure that, you know, everything would be okay. And, you know, we had our leaders and and, uh, the first... uh, uh, watch uh, people and, and uh, the, the people that went in there first and 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 there's so many you know people that haven't been you know found yet yeah. just their uh, you know their bones and, and things like that are all they're they're trying to find out who who's who just by doing uh, you know DNA testing on just crushed pieces of bones and uh, it's still a sad day. You know, yeah. Even though it's 17 years ago, you know, there's there's people out there that still want to know, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure they know by now that their their loved ones uh, that were in that those towers, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're gone, but yeah. they still would like to have the, uh, you know, the, the comfort of, of knowing, you know, that their bodies were found. Yeah, and there's still a large, large percentage of people who have not uh, been identified since that day. And, uh, Sarge, I, I, I'm sure you will agree with me when I say that, uh, you know, on this day, our, our thoughts and prayers are with so many of these people that uh, were affected, uh, not only losing family members and friends and, and so many others and how it has impacted their lives 17 years later. To this day, it's still that memory is still as fresh as ever uh, to millions of Americans here. Yeah, the one thing we get lost into a lot of times is that it wasn't just the towers that got got hit you know we had the uh the, the crash and and uh the planes and yeah. and all the other the people that uh lost their lives because of the terrorist attack and and uh just it's uh one of those things that uh you know gets more emphasis because new york city and 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 thank god uh you know i i don't know where you were i was in uh san san antonio texas we mm-hmm. were uh, doing our uh, Raw and uh, SmackDown shows, and I got a call from my daughter about uh, 0900, and she said, Dad, are you okay? And I said, yeah, why? And she said, haven't you had the TV on, or did mm. you know what's happening? And and I'll, I'll never forget that day, and I, I drove to uh, Houston, Texas, and I stopped at a, uh, a, a fast food restaurant, and uh, it was just an eerie, you know, there wasn't anybody around. And, and I was traveling on the highway pretty much by myself. And, and uh, everybody was kind of in shock and, and 
wondering if is this real or what's going on. And I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, can remember exactly where they were when when that happened. A lot like the uh, space shuttle when it, it blew up, and uh, it just you know it's part of uh, you know part of uh, our our heritage, our our, our uh, you know USA. We always pull together, yeah, you know, and, and uh, we keep on pulling together. Sometimes we get pulled in different directions, but we're still Americans. And and uh, as I said, uh, we put United back in United that day. Yeah, and 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 uh, since you mentioned it, um, that was as you said, a lot of people just were shocked by it when you and that uh, Raw uh, and these other shows were going on with the WWE. What do you recall of how? Vince and the company handled it and uh, how they moved forward to, uh, to continue to do uh, what, they, what they did. Right. I was in the production uh, end of the uh, business at that time. And, yeah. and we, all, we, met, we met as usual and uh, just kind of went around the room and everybody was, gave their thoughts and what should we do. And uh, we finally decided to uh, do the show the, the next day, next night, mm-hmm. and uh, it was amazing. We were, you know, jam-packed. Uh, the the uh, arena was, uh, there wasn't, uh, you know, a seat available, mm-hmm. and we just put the show on and and did the best we could. I think we were the first and the only uh, sports entertainment uh, event that was uh, going on at that time and and we aired uh uh and you know gave our uh, condolences to all those who lost their lives and mm-hmm. and uh everybody was you know still you know in shock basically what's going on and and uh but as vince uh told us all you know we're, we're entertainment uh let's give the people entertainment this is what they need more than anything right now is yeah. to be entertained and uh, that's what we did and uh, the show went really well it must have been uh eerie though to be uh with that many people because uh a lot of people to, you know just were in shock you, you everywhere you went everybody just kind of had this like did this really happen and right what do you recall of of the feeling that the connection that the people that were there uh had with each other Mm-hmm. That night. It, it was, uh, uh, you know, I probably used the word too many times, but it it really was united. Yeah, and it just uh, everybody was uh, having a good time. It was like nothing had happened after we, uh, you know, all went out on the uh, the stage through the gorilla position and and all stood out there and and uh, we uh, gave ten seconds of silence and. And uh, from that point on, it was, uh, you know, entertaining. Mm-hmm. And everybody was uh, having a good time. And, and when they went home, they, you know, for those two, three hours that they were in that uh, Houston uh, arena, they, they didn't, hopefully they weren't thinking about what had happened in that, uh, you know, that day before. And uh, that's, that's what we were trying to do. And, you know, a lot of us uh, were stuck there. We couldn't couldn't go anywhere. The airports were closed. Mm-hmm. They, they uh, were, uh, you know, we had a hotel. Luckily, for uh, two or three days. A lot of the 
superstars uh, had rental cars and they just drove home. They they uh, basically, you know, as soon as they were done, they got their cars. Some guys shared rides with others, and uh, some of the uh, the uh, ladies, uh, you know, everybody, are you going this way? Are you going that way? And and we all kind of got back to uh, where we were our, our loved ones. Yeah. And uh, it was you know, it was good to get home and and hug your uh, your loved ones and and be home and and uh, know that uh, you were there for them and. and uh, wondering what was going through their minds and i'll never forget when i you know, i got on the airplane and, and uh i was on the uh the aisle up in, in first class and there was a gentleman next to me who was a you know rather uh terrorist looking you know, i don't know what nomination uh, 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 uh he was yeah he was but uh, when we uh, when I first got to the airport, I went to the restaurant and uh, got something to eat, and they gave us uh, plastic forks and knives and spoons, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I thought that was you know quite strange, and uh, but they you know the uh, security was already you know on the alert that you know no uh, silverware in the airports, especially past security and. And, uh, you know, we didn't know if they were still uh, terrorists, you know, in, in airports or on airplanes. And so this, we, we got served our breakfast. And, uh, when I unfolded my napkin, we had metal silverware, fork, knife, and a spoon. Mm. And I looked at it and I looked at the guy next to me and I thought to myself, go ahead and try it. (laughs) (laughs) If you, uh, if you're going to try to make your way up to the, uh, cockpit up there uh this soldier here is, is going to give you a hell of a fight and so he asked to uh to get out and go to the bathroom and so uh i got up and let him go and i i didn't sit down i i went right up by the uh the door where he uh went into and i stayed there until he came out and got back into his seat but uh he you know, that was just the military training that I had. You know, I, whenever I, I walk outside, as I do in a, a professional wrestling arena, when, especially when you're the, uh, the bad guy, the, uh, the no. villain, first thing I do is I look up at the, the buildings, uh, you know, and, and look around and see what's, what's there so I can prepare to, to know where I can run to or if somebody's attacking us, where I can hide and where I can. Uh, protect myself and, and anybody else that's with me. And so, uh, you know, I was just, uh, you know, I probably was a little bit more uh, aware that day, that morning than I was uh, any time, you know, uh, just because, and, and that was, it was a bad thought in my mind just because he, you know, may have been an Arab, Arabic uh, nationality, but uh, he, uh, I just, you know, put my, my guard up. Yeah. Well, everybody was certainly on edge and for a long time to come. But you mentioned you're a soldier and, you know, folks, a lot of people have what we call gimmicks or whatever their character is. Uh, There's never been anybody who's been more natural at uh, being the character he became than Sergeant Slaughter because he's the real deal. Uh, Many people know, uh, maybe they don't, but uh, you uh, are an actual Marine. You were an E6. You were a, a staff sergeant. 
and a, and a DI, as they say, a drill instructor. Um, how did how did you end up in the in the Marine Corps? Well, I was uh, in high school, and uh, I, I wanted to become a professional football player. But our school, you know, I, I was a, a great, uh, you know, patting myself on the back. I, w- I was a great uh, natural athlete, and uh, football was one of my favorite uh, sports. And uh, to this day, uh, I was the most valuable player of my football team, both my junior and my senior year of, of, of high school, and I was a lineman. Huh. So, wow. so you know, also awards go to quarterbacks or running yeah. backs or receivers. Uh, sometimes, once in a while, a uh, linebacker, but never a defensive lineman. And of course, our school was so small that we had to play every second of every uh, game. You know, we were on the <laughs> both sides, kickoff team, <laughs> team, and the offense, defense, yeah. and, and uh, we never won. Once the game started, we never got off the field. And uh, I just uh, had a love for for football and, and played it well. And uh, we used to have to tell the referees, my coach would go to the referees before the game and take him into the locker room and show them uh, vid- uh, not videos, uh, tapes, uh, films, I should say. Right. Back in those days, Super 8. And, right, yeah. And things like the projector on and the they, wall. <laughs> and they would say, now, see this, uh, this, this kid here, number 75, uh, uh, was my my uh, sophomore year in, in high school was my number was seventy five, and every time the ball w- would be hiked, I would always move with the ball, and a lot of times I would get a flag because they'd say, "Oh, you're offside," but this showed the referees that I wasn't going offside; I was just going with the ball. You're just that quick. And I just had the natural natural instinct, and I you know I was right on the ball, so I saw it. <laughs> And uh, that was a, a pretty classic thing, you know, that that you have to show referees that uh, yeah. there's this, this uh, 15-year-old kid that is uh, already looked like he should be in the pros, you know. Yeah. And uh, I just, I loved it. And as I said, my school was too small, so we didn't really get any scholarship things. And, and so uh, it just, you know, I just said, well, you know, I talked to my dad. He was a Marine, and, and uh, he was at uh, PI, Paris Island. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, you, you should make a decision, you know. Once you get out of uh, the Corps, uh, if you decide to go to the Corps, you don't have to go in the Corps. You can go in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force. And I said, no, Dad, I'll go, go where you went. And uh, he said, then you can maybe use your, uh, you know, use that to go to college and, and better yourself. So of course I, I did. And, uh, it was just, uh, it was natural for me there to also, you know, I, I was always, uh, leading everybody in, in, uh, you know, back then, you know, I have to let everybody remember that I was, I was only about 190 pounds. And mm. so I was, I was a, a pretty good, uh, you know, athlete, and uh, I, I just uh, had that natural, no give up uh, type uh, way of my uh, of living and, and playing and, and do everything I did. And so, uh, you know, just I got to where DIs were telling me, you know, kid, you ought to be a DI. Mm. And I, 
to, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to be doing what you guys, you know, uh, in my mind. I didn't tell them this. Yeah. I didn't want to have to, you know, put guys through uh, what they were putting us through. But uh, finally, uh, it came that I, I did. You know, I, I went for it, and uh, during my uh, time as a DI in Paris Island, uh, my junior DI came in one morning and uh he said sarge he said did you watch uh tv last night i said no i didn't he said well there was a show on with uh steve mcqueen and jackie gleason and he said jackie gleason's character's name was sergeant slaughter and i said yeah he said he reminded me of you he said i'm gonna start calling you sergeant slaughter i said no 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 (laughs) don't 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 do that I said, we, we have enough trouble, you know. And yeah. he said, no, I'll just do it on my own, you know. So so it got to be, that was my, my kind of my nickname with all all wow. the uh, other guys and things. Who knew? And that's how, that's how the name started. Yeah. And, and so I just, uh, when I got, when I uh, got out uh, to do a, uh, I was on leave, and a friend of mine was a sports writer. And he was going to do a story on a pro wrestling training camp up in Minnesota where I lived, uh, where I grew up. And my, uh, uh, it was Bergania, Billy Robinson. I mean, at, at this point, so Sarge, at this point, Sarge, what, what are, how old are you? Because you come back, what, you, I think you served six years, right? Were you in the Corps? 20, 24. Yeah, okay. Going, going and, on 25. And, and you go back, what, to yeah. work with your dad, was a roofer? Yeah. Yeah, my dad uh, uh, was uh, a farmer to start out with, and then mm-hmm. he decided he wanted to uh, move up to uh, the big city of Minneapolis, and so we moved there when I was a young boy. And uh, he took up two, three jobs, you know, to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, so he he uh, you know he used to take me to the wrestling matches, you know, when I first time I ever remember. Uh, a wrestling match. Uh, my parents lived in a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, uh, they lived in uh, on at a house where they were in the first floor, and the uh, landlord was in the upstairs. And uh, my sister and I would sleep on a uh, uh, fold-out couch. And, and uh, but first we would go to bed in their bed, my mom and dad's bed. And once we fell asleep, my mom and dad would take us out to the fold-out couch and put us out there. <laughs> and that's where we would wake up. <laughs> so uh, I was uh, laying in bed with my sister, and, and I I woke up, and I heard the screaming and hollering. And couldn't figure out, I, I'm, I'm guessing I was probably about four or five years old, maybe younger. So I crept out into the, the living room, and uh, there my dad and a bunch of his friends were watching this t- television. And uh, they were yelling at the television, you know, that referee's blind. What's wrong with that guy? He can't see anything, you know. And, <laughs> and I hate that that, uh, that guy. And, yeah. and, uh, and I'm watching it, and it's a, it's a wrestling match. And so uh, every Saturday night, I would uh, kind of pretend I was sleeping. I would sneak out and watch wrestling behind the chairs. Yeah. My, finally, my, dad, my uncles, they saw me and started letting me watch it. Yeah. And so my dad take me to, you know, Minneapolis Auditorium, and I, we'd watch, you know, the, the wrestling going on. And, and so uh, I was into it, you know, at a young age, and, and one of the big things that we would do on a Saturday 
was my mother would take my sister and I to uh, the grocery store, and we could pick out a TV dinner or a uh, pot pot pie of our choice, and we would make that and have our TV trays, and we would all watch wrestling together. That was our family time on Saturday. Yeah. You know, because my dad worked so many hours, but uh, when it came to wrestling, he didn't do anything. He was, for an hour and a half, he was watching live wrestling, all-star wrestling from Minneapolis, and that was it. Yeah. And, and that's how I got kind of involved in, into the, the wrestling of it. So when my uh, friend had invited me to this uh, training camp, he and I used to go to the matches, and uh, we, we would watch it. So I, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come. You know, and watch it. And I was, I was kind of helping my dad out on on a roofing job. And I said, uh, "Dad, is okay if I go uh, leave early today? I'm going to go to a uh, wrestling training camp with Virginia and Billy Robbins." He said, "Oh, really? Yeah, go, go." Yeah. So uh, I left, and I, I met my friend, and we went. Uh, I, I I figured we were going to go to this, you know, uh, you know gymnasium and and uh, watch this uh demonstration of uh pro wrestling training and and we ended up out in the, in the middle of nowhere close to where i lived in a in a at a, a barn and uh, we drove up and there's four five six cars around the uh the barn and and we walked in a couple other reporters came and, and we walked in and there's you know cows and horses and chickens and ducks <laughs> and, and and uh and uh there was this uh, ring set up. It was a, a boxing ring because it had four ropes. I didn't know that mm, at right. the time. But and uh, and there was a little white uh, light bulb above it, and you could hardly see anybody in the ring. But so these guys were just going at it, you know, you know, doing a lot of uh, calisthenics, and and uh, it was kind of cool out, you know, cool weather out. Yeah, and, it's Minnesota. Uh, I looked in the ring, and I'm I'm looking at the uh, five or six of the uh the guys that are training and i wrestled them in high school you know and i said geez i beat them all and, and they're going through a wrestling training pro wrestling training camp hell i i, I better look into this you know yeah sarge i want to take time out to talk about our new sponsor mac weldon because mac weldon is going to rock your world when it comes to some very essential items in your wardrobe must have items like underwear, socks, and shirts. Think about it, guys. How many brands of underwear have you gone through that ride up, squeeze your boys, make it a swamp down there? Come on, be honest. Well, I have just solved all your problems. Mack Weldon started from scratch, engineered their own fabric, redesigned every centimeter of their underwear with its fit, the stitching, and the waistband that perfectly adjusts to your body. And, you know, there's some items that can stink, you know, like underwear and shirts, but it doesn't have to be that way because of one word, antimicrobial. That's right, antimicrobial. It's a big word that is tough to say, but you don't have to say it. Just wear it. Mack Weldon also has a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, right? Which means they eliminate odor. But don't just take my word for it. Check out their website. I uh, did. And I was amazed by how many items besides their incredible underwear that Mack Weldon has. They have uh, underwear, as I just mentioned, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and a lot more. The website makes it so easy to shop to. And listen to this. They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear you buy, you can keep it. And 
they will still refund you. No questions asked. So it's time to get comfortable with Mack Weldon. And because you are a loyal listener of Primetime with Sean Mooney, when you place your first order, you're going to get 20% off. That's right, 20% off. Just go to MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code PRIMETIME. That's PRIMETIME, P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E, and you're going to get 20% off your first order. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. And you so knew, I, did you I, know that, uh, I mean, Ganya was a big name. I mean, did you know this This was the big promoter in, you know, in, oh, yeah. uh, in Minnesota? Oh, and, yeah, I was so. Yeah, and it was quite a collection of, of athletes there. And I knew that uh, I know that you knew uh, Rick Fleur uh, then uh, from high school, right? Yep. Rick Flair, I right? Mean, right. Yeah, he was one of them. That was one of them that that was in there, Rick Flair, yeah. and, and who is Rick Flair of today? Yeah, well, Campatera, Greg wow. Ganya, uh, Jim Brunzel, <laughs> uh, the Iron Sheik, who was Cosmo Vasari at that time. Cosmo uh-huh. was about a hundred and. 80 pounds just wasn't a ounce of fat on him and uh there's another uh fellow by the name of bob bruggers who was probably the greatest uh athlete uh that i ever saw in minnesota in uh high school sports all three sports or four sports he he was uh just uh all state uh and uh so, so i'm watching these guys and thinking to myself why am I not, you know, what am yeah. I doing in the Marine Corps when I could be here maybe making some money? Because, you know, I thought they made a lot of money. Yeah. And so uh, next thing I hear, uh, well, how about a volunteer? And, uh, you know, I looked around, and, of course, I'm the only one that doesn't have a pad and paper and a <laughs> camera. And, Stand out a little and, bit, uh, huh? And you're like 6'6". Six, six, so yeah. yeah. Being in the, being the Marine Corps... And uh, a DI volunteer was a word that meant you're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I need a volunteer. You're 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 in trouble. So I knew I was probably going to be in trouble. So uh, I kind of did the old uh, uh, Robert De Niro. You you talking to me? (laughs) You you looking at me? You you want me? Me? Is anybody else here? yeah, I get into the ring and I've got an old pair of white, uh, like saddle shoes almost. That's all. I didn't have a whole lot of clothes, you know, at home. And uh, and the idea is, I uh, Sarge, yeah. I had a suit coat on and, yeah. and you know a winter jacket on, and so I I, I get in the ring and I kind of slipping and sliding because my shoes are slippery. So uh, I just said, "Can I take my shoes off?" And they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever you want to do." So of course they put uh, holes on me, Virginia put me in a couple of different holes and, and uh, maybe tap and yell, uh, yell uh, Uncle Sam a few times. And and so uh, he was getting these kicks out of it. Yeah, they're trying to stretch you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they stretched the heck out of me. Right. And so I went to get out and uh, of the ring, and Virginia says, where, where are you going? And I said, well, I don't see any reason to stay in here. And he said, why not? Was it too tough for you? And I said, no, I just, you know, uh, I'm letting you put these holes on me. You're not giving me an opportunity to to not, you know, give up. To vent yourself. Is that, is that right? Uh-huh. So uh, well, what do you think you can do? And I said, well, I, I think I could probably do pretty good, you know, as long as I 
you don't have to put the hole on me first. And he goes, is that right? <laughs> well, why don't you get down on all fours, uh, the, you know, wrestling position, and we'll see what you got. Huh. I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, so I get down, and I'm, the first thing I'm thinking of is, well, I'm going to put some holes in my knees and my pants because they're, you know, thin dress pants. Huh. So I said, oh, what the hell? So uh, the first word I, the first two words I, I hear is, uh, Rick, get on him. The first three words, Rick, get on him. Mm-hmm. And that was Rick, Rick Flair, who, of course, Rick Flair. And I hear Rick go, uh, uh, sorry, uh, sorry uh, coach, I, I got a bad shoulder. <laughs> he said, don't, don't give me that. Get on him. So Rick gets on me, and, and I was proud of the peacock. So as soon as they said, wrestle, man, I, went this way and that way and i uh of course you know give rick his due he would he'd been working out the first three hours before i got there yeah but uh so i i pinned him you know yep. and uh boy did that the place got kind of quiet <sighs> and <laughs> so Vern walks over to, and grabs rick and throws him over in the corner and says can you get him now, ken was the uh yeah weightlifter in the in the uh olympics so I get down on all fours, and they say go, and, and uh, I escape from from Ken. And now I'm really hearing silence. You know, you can hear hear a pin drop. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, uh, for a guy just says to Billy Robinson, who's you know the Empire uh, uh, champion from, uh, I guess they called it the uh, Empire. Uh, some type of champion, and yeah. uh, you know he's. Great, great wrestler. Well, he was a hell of a British shooter, Empire. too, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. British Empire champion. So. Yeah. He, uh, he's, he had a few choice words to say before he had told me to get down on all fours and uh, called me every name you could think of. And some of them I hadn't even used in the Marine Corps. But, <laughs> wow. Uh, so, uh, so I get down, and, and uh, as I go down on uh, – in the wrestling position, uh, he decides to drop his shim against the back of my ankle and break my foot, break oh. my ankle for me. So I came up, you know, swinging, you know, the mud, blood, the beer. Yeah. You know, here's a guy trying to break my leg. I got, you know, I got to get back to uh, a boot camp here, and uh, I don't need anybody breaking my leg. So I went after him, and I got him down, and and I got it you know, the better of him for, you know, about five minutes and they, they broke us apart and he like dove me and, and I uh, got the better of him again, you know, uh, got his, uh, uh, mouth a little bloody and his, uh, ear a little bloody. And, uh, he had my nose bleeding and they finally broke us apart, took us, took me outside, uh, <laughs> with my friend and Vergania said, uh, man, did, Where'd you learn to fight like that? And I said, well, I was a high school wrestler, football player. He goes, yeah, where? And I said, here in Eden Prairie. He goes, Eden Prairie? Really? What's your name? And I said, my name's Bob Remus. He goes, Remus? Your father, Rudy Remus? I said, yeah. He said, he put the roof on my house. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I know. (laughs) And he's going to be happy that I met you today. (laughs) You say hi to your dad and, and, uh, if you want to be a wrestler someday, uh, I can't put you with this group of guys, although you did pretty well. They're <laughs> eight weeks into it already. Wow. But if you want to try it, uh, Chris Taylor's getting out of the Olympics uh, soon, and uh, we're going to have another camp. And I said, well, that, that's fine 
uh, I'm in the Marine Corps right now, and I'll, I'll let you know. But right now, I want to get back in that ring and finish off what I started. I said, that guy tried to break my leg, break my foot. And he goes, well, you don't need to worry about him. You'll have plenty of, to do with him if you decide to go through the, the camp. So he said, just whenever you're around, come on over and and, uh, and watch and do whatever you want to do and, and, and see if you're interested. So I said, okay. So I left and went home and told my dad what had happened. And, and he says, oh, really? And he was like, you know, clapping his hands. And he said, were you going to do it? And I said, I don't know. What do you think I should? He goes, yeah, I don't want you to be a roof for the rest of your life. And uh, you don't know what you want to do as far as football. And, and this would be great. You know, so. So st- I, uh, were you I still in the core at this point? Uh, what's that? You were still in the core at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I okay. decided not to re-up, and I uh, huh. uh, basically gave my notice and uh, <laughs> and uh, went back home and, and worked for my dad and uh, finally found out from uh, Vern Gagne when he was going to have another tra- training camp. And then I went to the uh, the camp with uh, – with Chris Taylor and a guy by the name of uh, Paul Pershman, who was Buddy Rose. Oh yeah, and and uh, there was about thirty eight other uh, wrestlers that started. One was a referee that was already in the business, and uh, all but the uh, the referee that that was already in the business, they all quit. And the only other one that made it through was Buck Zumoff, but he was, you know, way be, be uh, behind us. Mm-hmm. Vern Gagne had a live wrestling show on Saturday nights and he made an announcement that uh, Monday morning if anybody wanted to become a professional wrestler to come out to the uh, to the the barn and he gave him the address and all that and there must have been a uh, hundred people a hundred uh, men different shapes and sizes and and uh, they all wanted to be wrestlers and uh, Buck Sumoff was the only one that made it through but he was uh, like I was he was eight weeks behind already, so uh, he had to wait for the next year's uh, class with Ricky Steamboat and uh, you know uh, Steve Olsenowski and, and a few of those guys. So when did uh, you know you get through the camp? And uh, you know it's amazing you hear a lot of these stories of guys that go through these and, and they start with uh, you know forty guys and there's two left when it's over. Um, so mm-hmm. obviously you made an impression on Vern Gagne and. Uh, but how long before you actually started uh, stepping into the ring with the uh, the NWA and and uh, and AWA? That that's well, about what's that in seventy two around yeah. there. Yeah, I uh, I'll I'll go back a little bit during our training camp. Yeah. Uh, Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson uh, had to go to Japan for four weeks. So we were already eight weeks into our training camp, or nine weeks, and so uh, he's uh, Vern told us that two wrestlers were going to come and continue our training, and he uh, Billy made a, a list of all of our calisthenics and everything like that. You know, we were doing 500 uh, free squats and 500 sit-ups, 500 wow. push-ups, and everything was 500, 500, 500. So the uh, uh, before all this happened, when I was a young boy, uh, you know, back before, you know, 9-11 and all that, you know, we, you could go to the airport and go right up to the gate and wait for people to come off the plane. Yeah. So I was probably about, probably about eight, nine years old, and uh, we were waiting for my aunt to come off a, a plane. And another uh, plane uh, 
landed and people started getting off and there there was a wrestler by the name of Joe Scarpello and uh, they called him Jumpin' Joe Scarpello and my dad said Bobby look there, there's Jumpin' Joe Scarpello and I said yeah it is and, and Joe was all tan and just muscular and just a human specimen so my dad said just go over and, and, and meet him and I said no I'm you know I was kind of a shy kid still am and uh so he, he said, well, come on, I'll, I'll take you over there. So I was kind of like, you know, pad my head down and stuff. And so he said, jumping Joe. And Joe was so happy that somebody, you know, knew who he was and all that. And he said, my, my son wanted to, to uh, meet you. And I said, hi, how are you? And, and uh, he said, all right, you want to carry my bag and, and I'll take it out to the car? And I, I said, I guess. And so I hauled his uh, wrestling bag or whatever it was out to the car. And I'll never forget there was this white Cadillac with the big fins on the back, probably a 54 or 55, something like that. Yeah. And this beautiful woman, blonde haired and, uh, met him and must've been his wife. And, and, uh, and so, uh, we said goodbye, gave me his autograph. And, and, uh, when we went to say goodbye, he said, so what do you want to be Bobby when you grow up? And I said, football player. (laughs) And, uh, so he said, you want to be a, a, a football player? No, you want to be a wrestler, don't you? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I, I want to be, a wrestler. So getting back to the training camp when Vern and, and Billy decided they had to go to Japan, uh, the first wrestler that came to train us was uh, by a guy by the name of Jack Pesic. And Jack was, uh, they called him Whiskey Jack. And he would get into your face about uh, a, an inch from your face and start talking to you, and saliva would fly out of his mouth. So you had a pretty good shower by the time you got he got his point across. It's like a DI. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, he trained us the first day, and uh, and uh, we started. Uh, he had a list of that Billy Robinson gave him of all the things that we had to do the calisthenics. So he said, "What's a uh, free squat?" So we we showed him. So okay. So we would do 50 at a time, and then we would do something else. So mm. we started doing the 50 squats, and, and Jack was doing them with us. And so we got done, and, and uh, we used to like stretch and, and do some other things, and then we'd start doing 50 more. So Jack uh, had a pencil behind his ear, and, and we started doing 50 more. And he goes, whoa, 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 what are you guys doing? And he said, well, we do 50 more. He said, 50 more, how many are you supposed to do? And uh, what does it say on the paper? And he looks at it, he goes, 500, 500 squats. And he takes a pencil and he scratches on the paper and he said, it says 50 here. It was a typographical error. <laughs> Just, you know, Jack was uh, retired and he didn't really yeah. want to, you know, uh, do much uh, of anything but show us how to be professional wrestlers. He wasn't uh, into the kick yeah, our he, butts and right. kick our names, you know. You get in shape so on your own. Through, uh, we went through Jack for about a week, and uh, I just told everybody that, that was left, I said, uh, I'm going to do these on the side because when Billy and, and Vern come back, you know, God knows what they, they might, you know, do to us. So so we were kind of doing it before Jack would get there. So the, the first week uh, was just kind of rumbling around, and, and uh so we got uh, into the ring, and, and as I said, one of the uh, trainees was a, was a referee. So he says to his, his name was Bill Crouch, and he said, Bill, 
I want you to re- referee a match between uh, Bob here and I. And I said, oh, okay. So he said, you know what a you know, collar elbow hookup is? I said, yeah. So he said, Let, let's do it. So we locked up and, and uh, he kind of threw me back a few times and, and you know, was tapping my belly and, and moving my arms here and there and telling me to loosen up. And <laughs> I didn't know what loosen up meant. You know, I was just uh, doing what I thought was, was, was supposed to be done. So yeah. finally he said, uh, okay, let's, let's, let's have a match. So we walked around and, and uh, so he said, I'm going to be the bad guy. And I said, okay. So we locked up and he's tapping me around and, and uh, he says to me, uh, uh, top wrist lock. And I said to, to him, top wrist lock. Okay. And he goes, top wrist lock. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he goes, do you know what a top wrist lock is? I said, yeah. He said, well, put it on me. Give it to me. I said, okay. So I put him in a top wrist lock and he's walking around the ring and tapping my stomach and hitting my leg and hitting his arm and, and trying to get out of the hold. And, and I got it in pretty snug. And so uh, all of a sudden he falls down on his back, <laughs> and uh, he looks up at the uh, at me and he looks at the referee, uh, Bill Crouch, and he goes, "Bill, did you see what he just did to me?" And I'm listening to all this, and and Bill says, "No, what?" He said, "He he pulled my hair. Bob pulled my hair." <laughs> and I said, and I said to myself, "That lion son of a bitch! <laughs> I didn't I didn't pull his hair." <laughs> and so uh, he he says to Bill, "Are you gonna?" break it or what and so bill looks at me he said bob did you pull his hair and i said bill i i didn't pull his hair honestly god i didn't pull his hair and he said well i'm not to make you break the hole one two three so i let go so jack gets up from the mat and looks at me and says all right come on let's go uh you know let's lock up so we locked up and you know he's doing the same thing patting me around the belly and my arms and my leg and he says top wrist lock and I said to myself, top wrist, he wants me, I wonder if he wants me to put him in a top wrist lock. So he says it to me again, top wrist lock. He's spitting all, spitting all over me. And uh, so I put him in a top wrist lock, and again he starts patting me and going around the ring. And, and uh, next thing I know, down on the mat he goes again on, the, on his back. And, uh, and I said, what the hell is he tripping or falling or what's going on here you know so he, he looks at me at me and looks at bill crouch and he says bill i'm telling you this this bob's no good cheater he pulled my hair and i said bill i'm telling you i didn't pull his hair and bill said bob gonna have to break the hole so he gets me to one two three so i let go and now i'm getting hot yeah. now i'm getting mad <laughs> so Jack kind of rolls up and looks at me, shakes his head, and he uh, gets up. And he said, let's do it one more time. So we lock up, and and uh, he, uh, you know, trying to get me to loosen up a little bit. And finally he gets me where he, he wants me, and he says, top wrist lock. <laughs> so I, I top wrist lock him, wrist lock him, and he starts moving around the ring. And the next thing you know, I, I feel him going to fall down again so i let him go <laughs> i let him go and he fell all by himself yeah. and I, I looked over at bill i said see bill he's a lion son of a <laughs> gun he, i didn't pull his hair he's falling on his own <laughs> and so jack just 
rolls over and he says, all right, kid, uh, we'll work on this another day, you know. And uh, and, and uh, Jack was just in there wanting to teach us, as I said, uh, all about professional wrestling, not so much calisthenics. Yeah, but, your first lesson in being a heel. Yes. And you weren't exactly. getting it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't getting it. But uh, so, you know, we went through this uh, for, you know, a couple of days. And yeah. then uh, uh, he said, uh, another guy's kind of join us tomorrow. So I said, okay. So I'm in the ring doing my, uh, you know, uh, exercises and calisthenics and my uh, squats and everything. And, and I looked in the distance and here comes another wrestler kind of a short guy and, and baldish kind of guy and, and uh, got a, you know, a bag with him. So I figured he must be the, the wrestler. And as he gets closer and closer, I went to my, I said to myself, jumping Joe Scarpello. Oh my God. It's jumping Joe oh, Scarpello. Now, now this, this is uh, quite a few years later. Yeah. And Joe's retired basically and, and living in Omaha. Joe uh, uh, Byrne uh, gave him a ticket to, to fly up, and, and uh, so he gets in the ring, and, and you know he's still in pretty good shape, and, yeah. and uh, starts doing the uh, all the uh, calisthenics with us. And, and uh, but when we got all done with that, he said, "Who knows how to do a fireman's carry?" And I raised my hand. He said, "You, you, you can do a fireman's carry." He said, "Yes, sir." So he said, well, do one on me. So I, I did one on him, and he gets up, and he goes, that's a hell of a uh, fireman's carry. Where did you learn to do that? I said, uh, in high school wrestling in the Marine Corps. And he goes, well, let's do that again. So that's all he wanted to do was have yeah. me fireman's carry. He fireman's carried me. I'd fireman's carry him all day long. <laughs> <laughs> and so finally uh, we got ready to go. And he said, uh, excuse me, uh, Bob, do you have a vehicle here? And I said, yes, I do. I said, uh, he said, I'm staying at the YMCA. Would you mind giving me a ride? I took a cab over here. I said, yeah, I'll give you a ride. I said, you don't mind a, an old uh, roofing truck, pickup truck? He said, no, no, it's fine. So uh, I said, well, I usually uh, stop and work out, you know, get a little uh, swim in and a, a little uh, hot tub and and he said, that's fine. That'd be great. Oh, you mind if I go with you? I said, no, it'd be good. So we went. So we're in the hot tub, and, and uh, finally I look over to him, and I said, uh, Joe, I said, I don't know if you remember me or not, but uh, years and years and years ago, you came into Minneapolis, and uh, I met you at the airport, and I carried your bag to the car. And he goes, <laughs> you're that little boy. Wow. I said, uh, yeah, you remember me? He goes, I remember you. You said you wanted to be a football player, and I told you to be a wrestler, <laughs> and here you are. Huh? And here I am training you. Wow. Joe now, you know, I'm, I'm six foot six, and, and Joe's about five, maybe five nine uh, at that, and uh, not the same guy that I saw when I was a young boy. You know, he, right. he was a giant when I was a young boy. Yeah. Now I'm a giant to him. Yeah. And, uh, and he just couldn't get the get it out of his uh, mouth fast enough that here I am training this kid that told me he was going to be a wrestler and uh, and he can fireman's carry like any nobody in the world you know so he he uh, stuck on me like glue all through the, the four weeks or three weeks that he was there and as soon as Vern and Billy got back he couldn't wait for them to see me give him a fireman's carry yeah and. 
he was just bragging on me and bragging on me and, and so that that was his last day and he left and, huh. and uh so uh i did see joe after that for lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For quite a while, and uh, I was home uh, from my first uh, apprenticeship out in Vancouver, Canada, uh, for Christmas break, and Vern called me up and said, I have a guy canceled out on me in Omaha. Would, would you be able to drive to Omaha uh, while you're home and, and take his place? I said, sure, I'd be more, more than happy to. So I figured I'd get a payday. And so I drive to Omaha. And as you know, when we go into the dressing rooms, there's a sheet on the, on the wall that tells you what match you're in. And usually the first match is the main event. So I'm looking down and looking down and finally I see my name. I just went as Bob Remus and uh, I looked at uh, my name and next to my name was Jumpin' Joe Scarpello. (laughs) My God, here here I am, you know, Rusty Joe Scarpello. Mm. Full circle. uh, We were having, we had the first match, a 10 minute uh, time limit. And of course they asked uh, Joe to to do me a favor. And uh, so there was no uh, qualms about it. So when we got into the ring and we started having our match, I just said to myself, I can't beat Joe Scarpello. I just can't do this. Uh. So every time, uh, you know, back in in those days, we we would get a countdown, you know, five minutes to go, four minutes to go, three minutes to go. So pretty soon, the and lo and behold, you'll never guess who the referee was. Bill Crouch, <laughs> and, and so he said, "Bob, you better get going. We got one minute to go." Mm-hmm. You know, I said, oh, "We'll get it. We'll get it." So, so finally, he got down to uh, where I was, uh, uh, what we call false finishing, and uh, getting the best of Joe. And uh, so I, I threw him into the ropes, and Joe gave me a uh, a small package and uh, a couple other moves, and time ran out. Uh. And the bells were in, and, and Bill's coming up to me, and he goes, "Boy, you trouble, you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Uh. You, you're supposed to, you're supposed to." And they, they got another draw, you know, later on in the, in the show, and, and so I, I just didn't say anything, and, and I went back to the dressing room, and and the promoter came up to me, Jack Dusick, and what happened? What happened? I said, I, I couldn't hear the damn thing. I don't know, it's just something happened. I couldn't hear it. So in the back uh, door comes uh, Joe Scarpello, and he motions for me to go into the, into the uh, shower room, uh-huh. and he shakes my hand. He says, thank you. Thank you, Bob. Uh-huh. This is my hometown, and, and everybody here knows me, and I really 
really uh, appreciate that, you know, what you did. Yeah. And I, I said, Joe, I appreciate what you did, you know. It's just little things like that that you, uh, you know, you think about when when you're doing shows like yours here. And, and I just had to uh, bring that up. Well, and it just shows, uh, Sarge, the respect that you had for this business even then. And it, and it stayed with you, you know, throughout your career and, and to this right. day. Um, right. uh, to move things along here a little bit, though, to, uh, you were in a, a wonderful place for professional wrestling, and I don't know if you knew it at the time when you entered the business, but that Minnesota territory and uh, you know the areas that you did work in there was a, uh, a tremendous place to enter the business, and so many names mm-hmm. came from that uh, that uh, yes. area. Um, uh, you know the Hennigs, and you just go on and on with the list. Uh, tell me about mm-hmm. that time in your life. Uh, I think you spent about eight years before you ended up uh, for your first appearance with the WWWF, I think it was at the time. But what was mm-hmm. uh, that experience like when you became a professional wrestler and here you're working um, for Ganya? Right, right. Uh, during our training camp, uh, you know, Vern did a live show on Saturdays from 6 to 7.30. Yeah. And uh, once a month, he would have a live show at the Minneapolis Auditorium. And uh, so they'd always do their little uh, angles, you know, live and uh, try to get people to come. And, and uh, there wasn't a lot of, you know, advanced ticket sales back then. Yeah. So you'd see someone like the Crusher and the Mad Dog Bashan had this <laughs> unbelievable uh, run-in on a live television show. And uh, most of the time, the... Uh, the heel would get the best of the uh, the baby face, and of course everybody would say, "Let's go, <laughs> we're mm. going to go see what happens." You know, and it's uh, just an hour and a half. You know, the the match started live at nine o'clock at the Minneapolis Auditorium, so the wrestlers would just jump in their cars, go to the auditorium, and, and continue. Uh-huh. And so people like us, we would be sitting at home, and my dad would say, "Bobby, grab your coat." Marlene, my sister, and my mom. And Grab your coach. We're going to the match. We're going to the match. So <laughs> that's how they they did it back then. Yeah. You know, was, uh, you know, and and so uh, I would uh, go down and, and watch uh, the matches live. And uh, so one one uh, night, Vern said, uh, "Okay, I want all the trainees with Marty O'Neill." I don't know if anybody out there listening remembers Marty O'Neill. But oh, I know there's yeah. a lot of people that uh, migrate from Minnesota and the Midwest on in the Arizona area, and they must know Marty O'Neill. Yeah. But uh, Marty O'Neill was going to do an uh, interview with the uh, the trainees. So we all get up there, and, of course, I got this beautiful blue, uh, navy blue shirt on, brand new. I just got it out of the bag and, and uh, looking pretty pretty good, you know. So everybody hides behind me, and they said, uh, Mar- Marty looks at me, he goes, well, Bob, and I'm looking at Marty O'Neill, and I'm thinking, here's a guy I've been watching all my life uh, up to that point, and he's going to be interviewing me as a professional wrestler, a trainee. And, and, uh, he was, it, and Marty was only about four, four eleven, maybe four, four twelve. He wasn't much taller yeah. than my mother was. <laughs> yeah. And, and so uh, you know, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden the, the red light goes on. And they said, okay, three, two, one, and, and Marty starts talking, and here we are with the trainees and blah, blah, blah. What's your name? I'm Bob Remus, and, and he starts talking to me about the training camp, and I'm telling him everything I can think about. And, and we get done, and, and he 
looks at me, he says, Jed, you, you're a natural. You're, you really are natural. <laughs> and I said, well, thank you. I'm really nervous. When that red light came on, I, I started shaking. <sighs> he said, well, you, you, you got it. So I walk off the, uh, the set, and, you know, the, the lights were just awfully hot because they need to have, you know, as people know in the, in the TV business, you got to have all that light. Right. So I walk off, and I go downstairs because we're going to do some training after the show is over. And uh, I take my blue shirt off, and my my body is the same color as my blue shirt. So <laughs> the, the, the dye oh. the sweat came off my, my body. I, looked, I had the same color on my body as oh, I did in my shirt. God. And I started feeling around in my mouth, and I had this, like, sand in my mouth, and I took my finger and I wiped all these white particles and I was so nervous that I chewed on my teeth and I was, had parts of my teeth in my mouth. Oh. So that was a difficult thing for me. Uh, yeah, so you, you had know, stage my, fright from the beginning of, yeah. uh, and, and did it was, stay with you I for a while? Fright. Yeah, I, I, I had it for, for a while. You yeah. know, I, after we got done with training camp, uh, you know, we didn't have the facilities like they do now where they, they train and they, they train not only wrestling, but they train how to talk and and find their characters and and different situations. And so uh, I got done with my training, and as I said, three of us made it. And Burns said to me, "You got two choices: you can go to Charlotte, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, or you can go to Vancouver, Canada." And I I, I said, "Do we have a, a list of who's down in?" in Charlotte. So he shows me a list and I see all these big names, you know, mm. and I said, well, that's going to be kind of tough to break in down there. Yeah. So maybe I'll do Vancouver. So I said, I think I'll do Vancouver. He goes, all right, I'll, I'll tell Gene Chinesky you're, you're coming out there. And Sander Kovar, mm. Kovacs. And, and, uh, so I, I said, okay, so I make my way, uh, to get ready to make my first apprenticeship out in in Vancouver, Canada, and I'm starting to think about a character, and I always loved superstar Billy Graham. So I yeah. said, you know what? I'm gonna. I had pretty long hair then, and uh, and so I, my sister was a beautician, so I went to her shop and I said, can you give, give me a blonde hair? She says, why? And I said, I, I want to be a beautiful Bobby Remus. And she said, beautiful Bobby Remus. I said, yeah, I'm gonna do the superstar Billy Graham look. I'm gonna have all these. Uh, psychedelic colors on and and uh show my muscles and and uh you know be this the stud you know she says okay so she she uh dyes my hair and uh she gets it all done and she takes the uh the uh, cap off and my hair is completely uh gray because <laughs> she put the wrong <laughs> solution suddenly in old bob old beautiful I, bob I, 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 yeah I look like Grandpa Bob. You know, just, <laughs> so, uh, so she had to redo the whole thing, and, mm. and uh, so now my hair's getting a little bit, uh, you know, crispy. Yeah. But I finally make my way out to uh, Vancouver, Canada. My dad and I we drive out there in one of our girlfriend trucks, and he's going to fly back. So I get out there, and uh, he he decides to leave, and they they told me what hotel to stay at, and. Uh, it wasn't the greatest hotel, and uh, so I was there like three days early. So I kept looking in the newspaper to see what the wrestling matches were, and you know, with my name, it's going to be in the newspaper. So I kept looking and looking, and finally, the 
the day of the uh, matches, it was a Monday night, they advertised the matches in the newspaper. And everything, everybody was uh, named on there except me. I didn't see my name. They had like uh, Gene Janiski against uh, uh, Jack Briscoe and, and uh, a couple other, you know, big names. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I finally go down and I see plus one other match. <laughs> I said, that's me. <laughs> Plus one other match. Yeah, started at the it. bottom, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I go, I go, and I get there early and walk in. And uh, Jack Briscoe, NWA World Champion, and anybody that knows Jack Briscoe, he yeah. was a stud. Yeah. And uh, I walk in, and he's sitting on the uh, uh, bench in the locker room, smoking a cigarette and read the book. And I walked in, and and I uh, walked up to him, and and uh, he stood up. And he said, uh, I'm Jack Briscoe, NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And I went to shake his hand. And I said, I'm Bob Reed. And before I could get my last name out, he says, I know who you are. Mm-hmm. And I said, you? He says, yeah, anybody that beats up Billy Robinson, I have to know who they are. <laughs> said, there's, a, there's a bigger shooter than I am around yeah. here. I need to know what his name is. Wow. You already, so had already had a reputation. Yeah. I had a reputation, didn't even know it, yeah. that I was uh, a shooter, and and Jack Briscoe was, you know, impressed. Uh-huh. So he said, uh, are you here? Uh, I, he said, I'm here all week. Are you here? And I said, yeah, it's my first night. He said, well, I don't have any uh, way to travel. you mind if I travel with you? And I said, well, I got a roofing truck, pickup truck. He said, that's even better. You got some country music in it? And I said, we'll find some. <laughs> so he said, well, we'll be fine. So uh, I traveled with Jack Briscoe my first uh, week in the business and uh-huh. learned quite a bit about, uh, you know, a few of the politics, but uh, mostly uh, what a wonderful man he was. Yeah. Well, you know, and there's so many uh, personalities that, that crossed uh, your path throughout your life, uh, especially early on that you would have these relationships throughout. Uh, two, I just want to mention that that, uh, that I found really interesting is that, that uh, you had a, an influence on Jesse Ventura, uh, everybody yeah. knows that's he's from Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> ended up with his political career, but early on he wanted to be a wrestler, and uh, mm-hmm. you actually helped him find his uh, early gimmick that stayed mm-hmm. with him pretty much. Mm-hmm. I did. The uh, first uh, couple of weeks I was in uh, Vancouver, Canada, after Jack had left and everything, and yeah. and I was doing this uh, beautiful Bobby Remus character, and, and one night. Uh, uh, I was wrestling a, a fellow from Minnesota called Buck Rampstead, you know, and uh, he was a tough, tough type of a cookie and, and uh, you know, no flash, no, just kind of black and white. And so I uh, was told by Virginia that when you're in the corner and you're introduced, have your back to your opponent. And then when your name is introduced, you turn around and you throw your hand up in the air and you give it the old, uh, you know, the good guy wave and yeah. people cheer for you and so i'm waiting for the uh announcer to you know he, he says uh in this corner buck rampstead from minnesota you know and everybody boo, boo, boo. Uh-huh. and now i'm waiting for the announcer to announce me and i hear people laughing and i'm waiting for my name to be announced and People are laughing and laughing. So finally I turn and look over my shoulder and I look at Buck Bramstead and he's blowing me kisses. Uh-huh. And I, and I went, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
that's not the character that I. Yeah. Beautiful Bobby Rebus is not that type of a character. Mm. He's a tough, you know, he's, he's a, a strong, good looking guy. And, you know, and uh, all of a sudden the people are laughing and laughing. So I, after I beat the hell out of uh, Buck Rampstead. <laughs> he wasn't blowing I, kisses I, at you anymore, huh? <laughs> yeah, so I went home. I went home and told my wife, uh, she was wondering what was wrong with me. And mm. I, I said, I'm not going to be beautiful Bobby anymore. <laughs> he goes, why? And I said, people think I'm, you know, something I'm not. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, they're, they're blowing me kisses and stuff. And she's, oh my God, <laughs> no, you don't want to, you don't want that. Yeah. And, and I said, you know what, Diane, I'm going to the barber shop tomorrow. I'm getting my hair cut, and I'm going as Bruiser Bob, and I'm wearing all black. Yeah. And she said, go for it, go for it. So. I, I started pay, being Bruiser Bob uh, Remus, and then I went to Bruiser Bob. Mm. And uh, I got a chance to go down to Portland, Oregon. on a, uh, they, Every uh, Tuesday of, uh, of every month, they had a special show down there. So Gene Kaniski said, Don Owens would like to have you come down. He's heard about you and wants you to come down. So I went down. And uh, I go in into uh, Portland for a match, and I'm, I'm Bruiser Bob. Yeah, you know, all black on. I got my shirt, my hair short, and I kept thinking, should I change my name to Bob Slaughter, or should I just leave it as Bob Remus? Mm-hmm. Ah, I'll just leave it as Bob Remus. Uh, Bruiser Bob, Bruiser Bob. So I thought, well, Bruiser Bob Slaughter wasn't too bad. Uh, I'll just I'll keep doing what I'm doing. So I have a match, and and uh, I come out, and uh, Don Owen says, "Damn kid, we're." You, you were really good. He said, uh, when you get done up uh, with Skaniski there, come on down. You know, mm. come on down. I got plenty of room for you. So we finished up and went down to uh, to uh, Portland, Oregon from Vancouver, Canada. And uh, one of the, uh, I had a, a real good uh, six to eight months there. Did really well. Worked with uh, Jimmy Snuka when he was first starting. And, and uh, uh, Dutch uh, Savage and Bull Ramos and uh, a bunch of great, great uh, performers uh, out in the West Coast there. Yeah. And uh, I was getting ready to go, and I decided I was going to go back home and then maybe try uh, Louisiana. So uh, right before I was going to, go, you know, as I gave my notice, I told Don I was I was leaving. He said, "Oh, I hate to see you leave, but it's been a good run." And, I hope we both made each other uh, a good living. I said, thank you very much. I'd like, like to come back someday. And my wife and I thought, well, maybe this is a place we'd like to move to someday. And, mm. and so uh, uh, I'm getting ready to, uh, the, the night before I'm getting ready to leave, Don comes in to me and says, uh, Bob, would you uh, come in and talk to me for a second? I said, yeah. He said, I got this new kid uh, by the name of Jesse Pantura. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy's a hell of a wrestler. Hell of a wrestler. <laughs> Can't talk. Can't talk. What? I said, oh, really? He said, I was wondering if he could stay a week or two uh, longer and be his be like, his tag team partner uh-huh. and do all the talking. I said, okay. So <laughs> first night, uh, Jesse comes in, and, and uh, uh, I got all these... Uh, and I see Jesse's attire, and I, I said to Jesse, "You know what? I got a whole box of of uh, tights and things that yeah. you just might love." <laughs> and, 
Well, Bob, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, bring him down. So I brought him this box of uh, uh, outfits, and I mean, some of them I hadn't even wore; they're brand new, huh. and some were uh, air uh, air painted, air sprayed, and uh, I had like a couple of uh, snakes coming out of my my tights up, you know, and, and it just wrapped around my legs, and he just loved all of them, and huh. he said, "I'll take them, I'll take them, Bob, I'll take them." And, uh, you know, I'm good for it. You know, I'm good for it. You know, us Minnesota boys. I said, yeah. So, uh, we went to, uh, do our match and, and, uh, we got into the ring and, and, uh, Jesse didn't know a hip lock from a wristwatch. I mean, he just didn't know what he was doing in there. And, and so, uh, we won the match and we went up to, uh, what they, they called the, uh, birdie position or something like that and, and we to do our promos so we got up there and i said jesse i'll, I'll start it out and I'll, I'll give it to you and then give it back to me i said okay so we started doing the promo and and uh i said here's my boy from minnesota and i put jesse over like everything and and uh so i gave him the microphone and he just blew the the the, the building apart really people were yelling and screaming at him and, and uh i mean he he could talk the uh, chrome off a bumper yeah. he, he was going like crazy yeah. and we got all done and i didn't even take the mic back i said there's no way i can follow that so i just let the, the guy say okay well we'll be right back yeah well but the we guy told you he couldn't back. talk right and here yeah, he, <laughs> he was a natural yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm and he never back. and he never stopped talking after that <laughs> I hadn't quit talking. No, not to this day. And so I got back and, and had a meeting with uh, uh, Don, and I said, Don, you don't need me to talk yeah, for yeah. this boy. Yeah. I said, yeah, he's got it. And so uh, I stayed for about another uh, week and uh, brought Jesse all of his uh, outfits and, and uh, got him on his way. And I went uh, back to uh, Minnesota and ended up going down to Louisiana as uh, uh, Bob Slaughter. That was my first uh, use of Slaughter. I, I liked the name Slaughter because my junior DI gave me that name, yeah. but I never thought about you know the, the Sarge at all. Yeah, and so I you. went down to Louisiana, and uh, things just uh, you know were, were okay. And I just was still frightful of the camera. Every time that red yeah. light would come on, I just I couldn't couldn't take it. So I got sick, and I got kind of the hypertension type thing and I get spots all over my body and uh, wow and I have uh, some you know, problems uh, uh, and so I just told my wife I, and the doctor told, told my wife and I it's got to be what you're doing for a living you must not be comfortable with it I said well I'm, I'm comfortable in the rain and everything but when that red light comes on I, I freeze uh. and he said well I think you're, you're looking different a freeze into a heart attack. <laughs> said your, your blood pressure is way up. You, uh, wow. you got ulcerated colitis, yeah. and, and you know you're you're just you're in bad shape. I would not consider this uh, much longer for a profession. So I, I was like dejected, and so we we packed up and drove all the way back to Minnesota, and, and uh, went back to work for my dad. And uh, one morning I. Uh, we got to the job and it was raining like crazy and uh so we all went home and i walked into uh the uh duplex that we were living in and turned on the tv and as soon as i turned the tv on 
da 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 I, I look at the TV, it's black and white, the D.I. starring Jack West. Yeah. And I went, oh my God, this, this ought to be good. And so I started watching it. And here's this guy, Jack Webb, a drill star- sergeant in Paris Island of all places, and uh, just berated these poor soldiers without uh, one use of profanity. Yeah. Oh. You know, because it was a television show. Yeah. You know, it was a movie. Movie. And I'm thinking, what, what, what a character. I mean, what a great heel character that would be. You know, and I kept thinking about it, Sergeant Slaughter, Sergeant Slaughter, the D.I., you know. And so I ran down, got my uh, uh, locker box out, I got my uh, uh, swagger stick, and I got my uh, campaign cover out, got my uh, whistle, and mm. got a bunch of things out, and got a couple old uh, T-shirts uh, uh, out, and when my wife got home from work, we had the Polaroid cameras, I said, honey, take some pictures of me. As Sergeant Slaughter, and she said, "Sergeant Slaughter," uh-huh. I said, "Yeah, it's my new wrestling character." <laughs> and she said, "Wrestling character? I thought you were all done with wrestling." I said, "Well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try it." Uh-huh. So we take pictures and take pictures. I take him to work the next day. I show my dad, and he goes, "That's that's good. I like that. I like that. I've never seen anything like that, you know." So I, I said, "Well, can I? Uh, if it's going to be raining tomorrow, I'm going to go down and talk to Bergania and see if he'll." think about maybe booking me i said he said okay so of course it was raining and i went down walked into uh Vern's office and Vern wasn't there and his uh, associate uh wally carville was there he said hey bob what's going on and if you don't like going back to wrestling i said yeah i get a new character i think i want to try he goes what what is it i said sergeant slaughter usmc huh. di and he looks at me and he goes, ah, I don't know. I don't know. They, <laughs> they, tried, they tried a few of those kind of characters, G.I. Joe and, and this guy and that guy. And he said, they never really did much, you know. And I, I said, well, I thought it might. So I dejectedly, I go to leave and I go to the elevator. And that elevator opens up and there's Vern Gagne. He said, hey, Bob, what's going on? So I had this new character. I was thinking about showing you, and Wally didn't think it was very good. He said, well, how are you feeling? I said, I, I feel good. I just, you know, back to work with my dad. And he said, well, what's the character? And I said, well, I'll show it to you. He said, well, come on in. So he gets behind his desk and looks at a few of the phone calls this guy's do, and he says, okay, tell me about the character. So I start going through, you know, what I did in the Marine Corps mm-hmm. as Sergeant Slaughter this time, not not as uh, Sergeant Remus. Yeah. And so... Uh, He's looking at me, and he's looking at me, and I figure I better stop and get the hell out of here before he throws me to the eleventh floor window. <laughs> and so he comes out behind his desk and he goes, "That is incredible!" And he starts yelling at me just like a drill instructor would, and, and acting like I was a private. And and, uh, and he's yelling at me, and yelling at me. And he says, "I hated my drill st- sergeant." He said, "I was in the Marine Corps, and I hated him." And, and he said, this is great. This would be a great character. <sighs> he said, but I can't I can't have you do it here. Let me send you down to Kansas City. And I, he said, can you go? I said, well, not right today, but I can maybe go in a couple of weeks. He goes, okay, I'll call uh, Bob Geigel up and uh, get you down there. So I told my wife or 
I'm heading down to Kansas City. I'll let you know how it goes. So I, I pack up a car and head down to Kansas City, run into Bob Geigel, and, and I go to one of the shows before I had to do anything. And next day we had to do TV, so I sat around and watched and didn't do much, and, and Harley Race was there. He had just lost the uh, NWA championship, and, and uh, so they said, okay, let's see you do a promo. So I got up and I started sparking out Sergeant Slaughter promo, and, and I got done, and Harley Race came over to me and said, kid, that's the hell of a gimmick you got there. <laughs> he said, I could see you and me, you and me, you know. So I, I was happy, you know, that, yeah. that that happened. And then, uh, lo and behold, I get sick. I get I get the flu. Oh. So I'm down there for like three weeks, completely dehydrated, and I have no money. I'm, uh, I've taken what money I have, and I go to a, a pancake place, and I order a, a thing of pancakes in the morning, and that's all I ate the whole day and what I could get down. And what I couldn't get down, i take back to my, uh, my room. Yeah. But uh, then I, I started going around with uh, Harley Race. And Harley Race, if anybody knows listening, probably the, one of the greatest ring generals ever yeah. in this business. And uh, he and I started out uh, a little program, and, and uh, we went to uh, Kansas City uh, uh, Memorial Hall, went one hour to a draw. Next uh, night, one hour to a draw, St. Joe, Missouri. And then the next night, Wichita, Kansas, one hour to a draw. Well, came all the way around, and uh, Harley says, we're going 90 minutes this time. You know, he's telling, he doesn't even tell me. He's telling the people you know, on his promos. Yeah. Oh, I got slaughter. I'm take, taking him 90 minutes. And, and so 90 minutes, Kansas City, Missouri, Memorial Hall, St. Joe, 90 minutes, you know. If I hadn't lost enough weight the way it was, I was really losing the weight. Is is the character hard. really over? I mean, is it when you go into no, these places? Is the it character's over? Yeah, the character's over, and and the more the character was over, the more Harley Race was loving it. Oh. and he just uh, he just couldn't stop having matches with Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. So we went around the loop for ninety minutes. Then we uh, finally got to where it was no time limit, and we went about uh, maybe fifty minutes. To uh, seventy minutes, depending on what Harley wanted to do, and then we would finish the match where he would uh, get his hand raised. But uh, that's where the Sarge. I, I got in front of the camera, uh, Sean, and when that red light came on, and I was, you know, being Sergeant Slaughter, I had no fear in the world. Yeah. I was just. I was going like crazy. Yeah, yeah I, I find that really okay. interesting because, uh, folks, when uh, the Sarge is referring to uh, that movie, The DI. And it was made in 1957. It's black and white. You should check it out sometime. It's it is awesome. You know, center that door, idiot. I mean, he's just Jack Webb is just so awesome in that in that movie. And this inspired you. Of course, you had Sergeant Slaughter already that had just been percolating back in your mind that it was going to come out someday. But I really find it interesting. You said that once you became that character, that stage fright disappeared because you were someone else. I think that's what you're saying. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. And and I I was. I was portraying a character, yeah. and as I did in, uh, you know, I could never have been a, a drill instructor unless I pretended to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. I was just too nice, a kind. I, I don't want to say I was a kind guy, <laughs> but I was a shy guy. And, yeah. and for me to, to uh, at 0400, 
uh, get those uh, you know guys out of the racks and and put them through pure hell. Oof. I had to become a character. You know, I, I I just you know I got talked into being a DI, and uh, it just wasn't for me. So I had to create a character, and that's where I guess my junior DI saw that Sergeant Slaughter character when he saw Jackie Gleason, and and uh, although I saw the movie years and years later, mm-hmm. Jackie Gleason was not at all all like Sergeant Slaughter that that I portrayed. Right. He was more kind of a, a a baby face, and you know Jackie Gleason was kind of heavy set and mm-hmm. you know dark uh, greasy hair and uh, cold back and yeah. and uh, it was just uh, but it just you know great name. Quit. Yeah, the, the name. So I, I, I ended up uh, going down to uh, Atlanta uh, to do uh, Sergeant Slaughter down there. And when I got down there, Ole Anderson said, uh, geez, Bob, uh, I love the character, but I just got no place for a, a heel right now. And I'm just going to have to say I'm sorry. If you want to hang out here and, and wrestle, that's up to you. He was from Minnesota, and he, he knew I was from Minnesota. and he, he liked me. He heard a lot of good things about me, about my work. But he said he just didn't, he had too many, you know, heels. So I, you know, uh, it, I, I was uh, with uh, uh, Pac Song. We were the uh, tag team champions there. And uh, right after Ole had uh, told me this, my, I got a call from my wife and she said, your mother's really sick, oh. got cancer, and so you better come home. So I went to Ole, I said, your problem's solved, I got a I gotta go anyway, uh, and I gotta go right now. And mm. So I can't drop the straps. I can't do anything. I gotta get out of here. So I left my uh, car at the airport. Uh, tag team, half of the tag team belts was in the trunk of the car. I flew back to Minnesota, and uh, my father was taking it real bad. So he said, "Bobby, you gotta take over the roofing company, mm. so I can be with your mother." I said, "By all means." So I uh, put uh, the Sarge, you know, in the mothballs, and yeah. I uh, tended to my father's uh, roofing business, and I'd be up on roofs at, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night, uh, watching airplanes going over, and I go, geez, I wish I was on that damn airplane right now, going somewhere to to wrestle, but I, yeah. I just did what I had to do for for my mother and my father, and, yeah. and so uh, uh, it ended up uh, uh, that uh, a guy from uh, Hawaii. Uh, Francis uh, was a promoter there, and he called up Byrne and said, I, I'm having a six-week uh, uh, tour, and I'm looking for a mask man. And he said, do you know anybody that that would come over? So Byrne called me up and said, would you like to go to Hawaii? I said, who won't want to go yeah, to Hawaii? He said, well, it's only six weeks. I said, only six weeks? He said, but you have to stay there the whole while. He said, I don't know <laughs> My mother's sick, and oh. uh, you know. So, I went talk to my mother, and my father. And my mother said, "You know, Bobby, you gotta go. You gotta go. I, I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm doing good. Your dad uh, got other people that can help him, and uh, you just you gotta go. You know, that's an opportunity for you to do." So I went over there and I wrestled uh, as the executioner under a mask. And when I got back to Minnesota. Uh, Virginia called me up. He says, what's this? I hear you're uh, a pretty good mask man. He said, I thought the Sarge was, was good, but he said the mask man was pretty good too. And I said, well, yeah, I enjoyed it. But I said, it, it was hard to get used to it because you can't see. Oh. Uh, all you can see is in front of you. You can't see the side. You can't see behind you. you. 
but it, it, it was something I really enjoyed. I worked a lot with Rick Martell and, and wow. uh, just uh, had great matches with Rick and just had a time on my life over there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I came back and, and went back you know, to the work with the roofing company. And uh, I got a call from Vern, and he goes, uh, Bob, are you able to, to work at all? And I said, well, I'll tell you, Vern, I, I'm running a roofing company, and uh, i got to be home you know, every night. And he said, well, I'm having trouble with uh, Don Jardine. He was a super destroyer. He just gave me a lot of problems, a lot mm-hmm. of problems. And I, I'd like to fire him and, and hire you. And I said, oh, really? And he, he said, I have an airplane. He said, and eight guys can fly on this airplane. If, if I can get you to uh, to the uh, arena, wherever we go to, and get you home the same night, could you possibly think about working? I said, uh, maybe a limited schedule, but yeah. He said, well, it's going to be pretty heavy because he's in all the main events, and you'll have to take right over from what, what he is. And I said, okay, so... I talked to my dad about it. He said, well, as long as you can get home every night. So there I was at, you know, 0400. I'm out with a roofing crew. And about uh, 2 o'clock, I jump in my car and head to the uh, airport, <laughs> flying Cloud Airport in Minneapolis, or out in uh, Eden Prairie, and uh, fly to the to the arenas, wrestle, and come back. And Vern uh, had gotten rid of uh, uh, Don Jardine and uh, – Don Jardine, of course, was one of those guys that uh, fought the law, and uh, everybody respected him and loved him. All the all the wrestlers. So here I here I walk in, you know, uh, taking his spot, mm. and completely different look, different character, different you know way of working. And uh, the first uh, night that I uh, wrestled is Winnipeg, Canada, and. Uh, my my manager is Lord Alfred Hayes. Mm. I was hoping we'd get to his lordship. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we uh, uh, teamed up with uh, uh, Mosca, mm-hmm. and uh, we're taking on Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson, mm-hmm. my two trainers. Mm-hmm. So we go into the uh, to the dressing room or into the shower room, and Vern's asking Lord Alfred, "What do you think we should call?" You know, Bob, what, you know, he's got a mask on, but I can't call him Super Destroyer. You know, everybody knows he's not the same guy. So Alfred said, well, uh, how about Super Destroyer Mark II? Mm. <laughs> and uh, Eric says, yeah, yeah, I like that. What, what's Mark II mean? He goes, well, it means that he's uh, more advanced. He's more advanced. <laughs> well, where, where should he be from? Hmm. Well, I think you should be from Gibraltar. Hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and says, Gibraltar? He says, yeah, it's a big rock out in the middle of nowhere in the British <laughs> Islands. And, and Alfred's kind of, you know, giving me the needles because he was best friends with Don Jardine. Yeah. And oh. uh, he said, don't be from Adam, you know. Uh, yeah, right. So, so. Got, I got this mask on that my mother made. Uh, you know, she's you know, got cancer on her dying days. And, and, and God bless her soul, she's sewing up a mask for me and she makes this face looks like a it's all glittery and and shimmery, and uh, Alfred uh, looks at me and he says to Vern, Vern, Super Destroyer Mark II looks like he's got egg on his face. Oh, 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 oh. And I, I went, 
you son of a Yeah, you, you want know, to kill I, him. Who, who are you? Yeah. you know, English uh, noble guy, yeah. you know, telling me I got egg in my face. And, you know, he's just, he's still burnt up. He's mad at Byrne. He's mad at, uh, you know, anybody to do anything to do with Byrne and replacing his good friend, yeah. you know, uh, Don Jardine. So I take Albert aside. I said, uh, I, I'm not sure what that was all about, but uh, I, I'm sure I'll, I'll please you eventually. So he said, oh, I should hope so. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, of course, we go out and we have the match, and, and we come back, and, and he comes over to me, and he says, I must apologize to you. What is your name? And I, I told him, and he said, well, Robert, you are a very, very well oiled machine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and he, he went through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Anybody that knows the Lord Alfred yes. Hayes, uh, you fall in love with him. And yeah. when you're around him enough, you start talking like him. <laughs> and so we started traveling together. Uh-huh. And uh, whenever I would check in at a hotel, I would check in at Matt, Matt Burns. You know, it's a kind of a funny thing. Like that you yeah. get a Matt Byrne when you're wrestling. And so he would never use the short name. He would not call me Bob or Rob. It was Robert. And when I would uh, check in as Matt Burns, he'd go, Matthew, uh, what time shall we leave today? <laughs> and and I said, well, Alfred, uh, how about you know this time? He goes, very well, Matthew. I will see you then. Toodaloo. And, and uh so uh, we got to be, you know, excellent friends. No, and, uh, yeah, throughout life, uh, throughout his yeah. life. Um, yes, and we just uh, we just hit it off, and I took him home, introduced him to my family, and and uh, we just uh, we loved each other, and, yeah. and we just had the greatest time together. And uh, so it was time for uh, for me to uh, to kind of get uh, demasked after uh, two, three years. And, uh, of course, Pat Patterson and, and, and uh, Ray Stevens were the uh, world tag team champions in Minneapolis at that time. And, and uh, just like you said, an array of tremendous, yeah. tremendous talent. Uh, not only came out of Minneapolis, but everybody wanted to be in Minneapolis, uh, yeah. the AWA, because you'd only work 12 to 15 times a month in your home almost every night. So, yeah. You know, and, and you, you're talk, talking, uh, yeah, but talking about Lord Alfred Hayes and um, most people and in, in, in the people who listen to this podcast, of course, they're huge fans of the 80s and 90s. And, you know, they saw his lordship uh, appearing, uh, you know, in the announce booth and he would also do many other promotional things and did play-by-play and was basically, I mean, he was a, a baby face, I guess, at that point. But if people don't realize uh, what an incredible wrestler he was, um, oh yeah, and and he was a judo champion. He was a real lordship. Uh, he was a real yeah. lord, and um, yeah. but he was an incredible heel. I watched. I've watched several of his promos that I've been able to find, and mm-hmm. no one ever really saw him as that. But he was a tremendous heel. And do you remember some yeah. of the stuff he would cut? Uh, you saw him as oh. a manager, but also as a wrestler, was just amazing. Tremendous, tremendous. Yeah. He he uh, he was a. Tremendous soccer player, yeah. played cricket, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, as we said, use the uh, the Queen's English. Yes. And uh, no, no profanity ever. You know, we go golfing together, and he would miss a putt instead of saying, "Well, you, you know," yeah. instead of saying any foul language, yeah. he look at the ball and he point at it, 
because it didn't go in the hole. And they go, you nasty brute, you, <laughs> you nasty yeah. fellow. Yeah. You know, and he would never, never say a, a bad word. Yeah. And uh, it, it just, you know, just uh, was hilarious being around him oh, all the time. God. And he always would end his matches with a uh, a, a scotch noise and a ginger ale. Yes, you know, that's right. Neat. And that's how he would. Uh, end his match uh, in the locker room and then he would take a shower and and off we go and, and uh i just had the, the greatest times and he taught me so much of, about uh uh life and in the ring out of the ring uh being a, a wonderful father that he was he taught me how to to be a, a good father uh, you know it was pretty natural for me but he just told me things like uh, you know when you're on the road and you come home, have little gifts for your children, and, and let them know that you know that you're thinking of them. And I said, "Well, I do." And he said, "Well, they don't know that unless you tell them." You know, and and he lo he loved his children so much. Oh yes. And he, yeah. he just uh, whenever he had a chance, he would call his children up and talk to them. And, and uh, it was funny, uh, you know. Pat Pat Patterson was going to New York City, and. Uh, Pat and his his, his uh, friend Louie and I and Lord Alfred and Nick Bockwinkel mm. and you know uh, Ray Stevens we'd all golf together we had, we had yeah. just so much fun together yeah. and uh, I said to uh, Louie one one night I said you know there's a character that I used to portray called Sergeant Slaughter he said I've heard of Sergeant Slaughter you were Sergeant Slaughter mm. I said yeah he said. Well, what are, you, what are you bringing it up for? I said, well, Pat's going to New York. I was wondering if you think he would take some pictures of me and show them to Vince McMahon. You know, which I'm, I'm talking about Vince McMahon Sr. And he said, well, of course he would. So, you know, uh, the, the, the first time I met uh, Pat Patterson and, and Louie, uh, we, were, we were getting off uh, this, the airplane in Minneapolis and this... Uh, uh, car pulls up this uh, nice uh, Lincoln Continental and there's a guy driving it and Pat Patterson gets out and he uh, goes up to the guy gives him his bag the gentleman puts the bag in the trunk and they say goodbye and off they go and I said now who was that and they said well that's that's uh, Pat's uh, friend and I said what a great I mean he's got his own chauffeur holy cow you know <laughs> what a beautiful car and uh, dressed well and that that and we and I just got along so well with Pat yeah. and, and Louis and Louis yeah Louis was his lifetime companion and just uh, just a, a great guy and and was involved in a lot of uh, what what went on behind the scenes and, and helped Pat in his career along the way and and when I worked for the WWF WWE uh, that's where we hung out at uh, Pat's house I had this the, they called it Shea gimmick. Uh, gimmick, yeah. you know, that house they had, you know, you were there with all the windows. But sure, uh, sure. really, uh, we, we zoomed really far ahead here, and I want to get more into how Sergeant Slaughter arrived in the, the WWF. But Pat Patterson, uh, Pat Patterson is the one who took pictures to uh, Vince Sr., and he liked what he saw. Yes, I, uh, I approached Pat, and I said, I heard you're going to New York, and he goes, yes. I said, I was talking to Louie, and, and uh, I was wondering if he would take some of these uh, photos, and I showed him Sergeant Slaughter photos, and he goes, Matthew, you know, everybody now is calling me Matthew. 
He goes, Matthew, this is you? Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, that's, that's the Sarge, you know. And he goes, oh, my God, I've, I've heard about Sergeant Slaughter, but I didn't know it was you. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, yeah, that's, that's me. So I'd be more than happy to take him with me. So Pat goes to uh, New York for his first uh, television and uh, comes back, and, and we got a, a round of golf set up, and uh, I meet him. And uh, we're ready to tee off. He goes, uh, Matthew, I, I took those photos with me, and I gave them to uh, Mr. McBann. And uh, he he like he likes the uh, idea. He wants you to uh, give him a call. Yeah. So I said, really? He goes, yeah. So I called, and we're talking about Vince McMahon Sr. now. And uh, so I called him, and he said, yes, I, uh, I got the photos, and I'd really like to have you come for a tryout. And I said, well, I'd be more than happy to. So uh, I was getting at the end of my uh, 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 Super Destroyer Mark II character and uh, getting ready to be uh, unmasked. And and so uh, it it got down to where I was going to be unmasked, and they they took the mask off me. But I uh, sprayed my face completely white, did my uh, sprayed my hair completely black. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they took they, when I lost the match at the Minneapolis Auditorium, they took the mask off. But I, but Lord Alfred Hayes threw a towel. Uh, I'm sorry. At this time, Bobby Heenan was my manager. Mm. Lord Alfred Hayes and I had uh, had split, and so Bobby Heenan threw the mask uh, over my face, and off off I ran. And so the next week on television, they said, "Okay, that's it." Gene Okerlund says, "You got to." Wally Carbo came out. You got to show us your face and tell us who you are. And, and so uh, I take the uh, the towel off my my uh, face, and uh, I'm, I'm Bob Remus. You know, everybody in Minneapolis recognized who Super Destroyer Mark II was. Nice. And, and, um, what, and what's your name? And I said, my name's Matt, Matt Burns. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Yeah. And one of the times uh, that uh, Gene Okerlund ever uh, messed up on live television, and he had to kind of hide behind uh, uh, my character a little bit and uh, saw his shoulders going up and down. But yeah. anyway, back to... Uh, to uh, Vince Sr. Vince Sr. Yeah. And uh, so I, I go in and I... Uh, Going to Allentown, Pennsylvania. The first guy to meet me at the door is uh, Lou Albano. Captain <laughs> Lou Albano. Yeah. Man, I can't wait to, to have you start here. I said, well, I'm just coming in for a tryout. He said, I heard a lot about you. Heard a lot about you. I think you're going to do good. You know, and, and Lou never stopped talking. And so I went to the locker room, and uh, they just kind of basically said, just uh, hang out, and uh, when we're ready for you, we'll, we'll have you uh, go out and do something. So, uh, Funny, I'm, I'm there all day, all day, all night. Go At that time, we were doing three tapes uh, a night. So the first hour went, second hour went, third hour went. You know, people were getting, you know, uh, seeing everything that they had to see that night. So finally, uh, Vince uh, Sr. comes up to me, and you could tell when he was around because he had four quarters, and he would hmm. always, you know, jingle them in his hands. That was kind of his nervous thing. Hmm. And I heard these uh, coins coming my way, so he said, uh, "You might as well get dressed and uh, show me what you got. I want you to go out 
uh, to uh, my son out there. He's going to do a promo with you, and I want to see hear, hear what you sound like, mm. what kind of a promo you do. And he said, uh, you know who my son is. And uh, so I said, well, I've, not, I've, I've seen him, but I never met him. Yeah. So he you know, opens up the door. He said, that's him right there. So I thought, oh, okay. He was working with Bruno Sarmentino in the play-by-play. So I get dressed and uh, getting ready to uh, go out and still didn't hear, didn't hear. Finally, uh, it's, I hear the, the quarters jingling. He comes over to me. He said, okay, uh, about the next, after the next match, I'm going to have you go out and do a promo with my son. I'm not going to uh, show it live or anything, or I'm just going to record it for my own purposes. Mm-hmm. Is there anything at all that I can do to set this up for you? And I said, well, uh, I went to my bag and I pulled out a cassette tape and I said, would you play this this, this uh, cassette tape? And he goes, well, what's on it? And I said, the Marine Corps hymn. <laughs> and he goes, you mean the Marine Corps hymn? Like, da-da-da-da. Yeah. Said, yeah. He said, well, you want me to play that before you go out? And I said, yeah. I, I think that would, you know, if you want mine. And he goes, music. Never thought about music. <laughs> you're the father of theme music. Yeah. Sarge. So I had my own theme music. Yeah, here. you're one of the first, I'm uh, sure. <laughs> it was the first. First yeah. time they've ever done it. So he got, he, I mean, he really, that was his reaction, like, hmm, music, hmm. Yeah, that's what he, that was his reaction. <laughs> the, the, the quarters stopped jingling, yeah. and he's thinking, and he's looking up in the air, and, and he's thinking, and he goes, music. Well, yeah, let's give it a try. So he, <laughs> he goes out to the, uh, production truck and and uh kevin dunn's father was the uh producer at that time mm-hmm. and so uh he comes back and, and he said okay it's all set up they're gonna play it and uh you, you'll go out and do a promo with my son i said okay so he says give me about five minutes if you if you got that in you and i said yeah I, I think i can do five minutes so uh i they start playing the, the music so i go to to go out and Vince puts his arm across my path. And I didn't realize what he was doing, but he was listening to the reaction of the people. And you could hear the people kind of mumbling and kind of rumbling. And and so he said, okay. So I had a, a whistle and I had my, uh, my cigar and had my sunglasses on and my swagger stick. And my, I was dressed up as a sergeant. I had my campaign cover on and out I go. So I blow the whistle and take the cigar out of my mouth and blow the whistle again. And I stopped and I said, you maggots better stand on your feet. Mm. It was like a pin dropped. And all of a sudden it just started roaring. And people, you know, (laughs) they didn't didn't know me from a hole in the the ground. And I started making my way over to Vince, uh, our boss of today. And and, uh, as on my way over there, I stopped a couple of times and called people and and scums and slimes and maggots and finally I got over to Vince and he goes well here we are with uh, Sergeant Slaughter and I, I stopped him right in his tracks I said shut your whole puke who gave you permission to speak I'm right in his face I'm, I'm in his face and he's like kind of stunned and he kind of backs up a little bit and I said where are you going boy where are you going and so he stands and comes back to me and and you know he used to do his uh, uh promos with slippers on because mm. the, the shoes would hurt his feet so i step on his toe 
and I, I said, who gave you permission to speak, maggot? And he goes, well, I, uh, I, I said, shut your hope, you. Could I give you permission to speak? And he's standing there. I said, stand at attention. <laughs> stand at attention, just like a, a boot. Uh. And I said, put those shoulders back, chest out. You call that a chest? And you know how Vince was a uh. hard worker. He, he worked out day and night. Uh. That chest out there at his arms. and He could hardly get his, his sports coat on or off because uh. his arms were so <laughs> And, and, uh, and he's, he can't sell the me standing on his foot. I got combat boots on, standing on his foot. And so I, I heard through the, the grapevine from Pat and a few other people, I said, yeah, it's Vince McMahon's son. He, he gets $200 haircuts. Uh-uh. They're making good money in New York. They're uh-huh. making good money. So I take my swagger stick and I go through his hair and, and I get into his face and I said, who cut your hair? Ray Charles? <laughs> <laughs> He's like getting all bent out of shape, yeah. and I do this promo, and I, I just berate him, and I berate everybody at the arena and at home and whoever I'm talking to in the camera. And uh, just as I go to leave, I take a big swag, uh, a puff of my cigar, and I blow it in the mm. Vince's face. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah. You could see the smoke going out of his ears. He turned completely white. I mean, purple. Purple. And he was just fuming. And I didn't know that he didn't like smoke. Oh, yeah. No cigarettes or yeah. nothing. And I, here I am, a nobody to him, but, uh, to anybody there, and I'm blowing smoke in his face. So I go back and I, you know, yelling at and, uh, people trying to come over this damn railing. <laughs> you know, this is three hours after all that day, uh, yeah man, they're, they're going to kill me yeah and uh so i i look back at vince and he's like shaking his head growling at me mm. and, and wiping his face off because i spit in his face and and he's making his way over to uh to uh, uh bruno to do one more match or two more matches before they get to, get to go home or whatever mm. they were going to go so I get back into the dressing room and I sit down on my chair and, and all the uh, boys that are still there, they're kind of like shaking their head, kind of laughing like, "Wow, that poor guy. What did we just see? Before he even started, <laughs> you know? So I'm sitting there taking off my, my combat boots and, and uh, getting ready to take a shower or whatever. And I hear the quarters. I hear the quarters jingling. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I, I see Vince's, Vince Sr.'s shoes walking around my my uh chair and around me jingling the jingling the quarters jingling the quarters so finally i he stops in front of me and i look up at him and he just stares at me and i can hear all the other guys kind of laughing and mm-hmm. kind of elbowing each other but he's gonna be him hang on a second let's let's wait and see this so he he uh does his finger and he he says come with me come with me so he takes me into a little room that was part of our shower room. It wasn't much bigger than a phone booth. Mm-hmm. And he gets in there and he walks around me some more, jingling those quarters, you know, and finally stops in front of me, gets right in my face. I'm ready for him to give me a, a tongue lashing. Yeah. And he goes, Sergeant Slaughter, that is the greatest character I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> wow. I've been in this business a long time. <laughs> he said, I got to have you work for me right 
now. He <laughs> said, even my son hates you. <laughs> he said, I've got to get you in here right now. I said, well, thank you, Mr. McMahon, but I, I'm still working in Minneapolis. He says, oh, don't worry. I'll call Gags up. I'll call Virginia up. I'll, I'll get you out of there. You're on your way out anyway, aren't you? <laughs> Pat told me you're on your way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll be in touch with you. I'll be in touch. I'll, I'll get a hold of Bird Guy. So I go back and I, I go start taking the rest of my stuff off. And everybody's kind of like waiting for the reaction. And Pat comes in. He said, you are unbelievable. And he takes me into the same room I was just in with Vince. He gives me a hug and a you know, I can't believe you're so good. He's overwhelmed. He <laughs> yeah. said, I can't believe what you did. I can't believe it. Vince hates you. He, he I don't know. He said, uh, he took it as a shoot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he just uh, hugged me and hugged me because yeah. he was so proud that he brought somebody to them yeah. that, you know, got, got over just instantly. Wow. So. I went back to Minnesota and got the call from uh, from Vince Senior. He said, uh, "I want you to come in. I want you to be in the Garden. Your first match is going to be in Madison Square Garden, and it's going to be in January. Uh, no, it wasn't in January. It's uh, uh, I think it was December or something like that. And uh, so I go uh, and give my notice, and, and Vern already knew about it. And, uh, and Vince said." You're going to come in and do six weeks or eight weeks of television. You're never going to appear anywhere but on television. And the first match you're going to have is the Madison Square Garden against Bob Backlund, the world champion. Jeez. And, uh, you know, there, I said, oh, my God, this really is a, quite a change, you know, yeah. from what, what I've been doing. So, of course, I go in and I do the TVs, and I, and I get over like a, a son of a gun, you know. Right from the start, just, huh? Just... Right off the, the bat, I yeah. mean, before you even get into Madison Square Garden, they they want to you know want to kill you. Huh. So uh, I'll never forget the uh, Lou Albano came to me and he said, "Kid, not too many people than other than Bruno San Martino can say that they sold out the Garden and the Forum. You know, next door they used huh. to have a a place called the Forum where they had a screen up, you know, like close circuit. Closer. Yeah, close circuit for uh, over." overflow of uh, people that can get into the uh, Madison Square Garden. Uh -huh. So I said, well, that, that's got to be a good good sign. Yeah. I had my first match with uh, Bob Backlund, and uh, uh, be before uh, I had my first match with Bob Backlund, I'm on my way to uh, Rochester, or to New York driving, and I get uh, somewhere near uh, New York, and uh, I stopped, called my wife, and she said, you need to call Vince McMahon right away. And I said, okay. So I, I called Vince. He said, how far are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm just about to go into New York. He says, oh, good. He said, tonight I want you to stop in Rochester, New York, and wrestle uh, the main event there. I said, okay. Okay, not a problem. And uh, he said, okay, and I'll see you uh, Monday night at uh, Madison Square Garden. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I go to Rochester, New York. Go in and uh, as again I look uh, on the uh, the wall to see what match I'm at and uh, main event Sergeant Slaughter versus Bob Backlund. Mm. What, what the heck? You know I'm wrestling Bob Backlund and yeah, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what they what they did there. 
So, you know, I go out and I have a match with Bob Backlund and, and the damn riot starts. <laughs> I, I had even uh, been in the territory uh, more than uh, two hours uh. and I already got a riot going. And, uh. Uh, all the wrestlers come out and they help me get back and we got to get the police escort, get me out of the building and next night, uh, that was a Saturday night. Sunday I was off and Monday I'm in Madison Square Garden. And uh, just you know, never been in New York uh, more than just to do TV, so I didn't know too much about what we were doing. But uh, boy, it just started right off the bat, and uh, and we just went from there and, and got it going. Yeah, and it's just it is really it's amazing. I wish we could talk about all those encounters, but uh, you know, you were in the ring with Bruno San Martino and. Uh, Andre the Giant was in his heyday then, and, and you spent time in the ring with him as well. That must have just been uh, a whirlwind because reaching the biggest stage at the time must have been—it must have just been incredible. I got married to uh, Andre the Giant. He he fell in love with me. He knew yeah. me from before. Yeah. He had met me in uh, Portland, Oregon, and uh, you know did a bunch of. Uh, battle royals with him and, and uh, some tag matches against him and he just fell in love with me and uh, when he saw that I was in uh, New York he told Vince McMahon Sr. put me with him every night and so I uh, my, my first night with uh, Bob Back on the Madison Square Garden we uh, had a uh, match where I put him in the Cobra Clutch and by this time after six, eight weeks of television. When I put the Cobra clutch on, people knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And they knew Bob Backman was in trouble. So uh, we, I got close enough to uh, Arnold Schwartz, uh, Arnold Schwartz, Arnold Scola. Yeah. He was uh, Bob's uh, manager. And uh, he had a c- cigar in his mouth. And, <laughs> and right before we went into the Cobra clutch, I reached through and I grabbed his cigar and I broke it in half and I threw it in his face and Bob Backlund came to get me and threw a punch at me and I did a couple other things to him I put him in a cobra clutch now Bob's you know putting it over putting it over putting it over he's going down to his knee and they're lifting up his arm and it looks like he's all done and and for people to start rioting basically uh, with Bob Backlund Mm. you knew you were doing something right you know you knew the character was over because not a lot of people cheered for Bob, you know, uh, uh, in Madison Square Garden, and he was over. Yeah, and he was, uh, you know, put in uh, in a lot of situations where the underneath card was probably, you know, selling it out more than than he was doing. But he was Vince's guy. Yeah, and uh, so he's down to one knee, and they're lifting up his arm and the second arm, and and he could hear the people stomping on the on the on the ground and and it was uh they're trying to get bob to to come back and and so bob's starting to come up and come up and i get over by uh the ropes and i put my foot on the rope uh without the referee seeing it and i put bob back down on his knees and those people started coming <laughs> they were coming coming through the barriers they were trying to start coming to the ring and the next thing i know i i I get uh, over uh, close to the rope again. Bob's starting to make his way up again. And just as I go to put my foot on the rope, uh, Arnold Skoll knocks my foot off the rope, and I turn back, and I look at him, and he belts me over the head with a chair. (laughs) 
and of course there's immediate disqualification. Yeah. So I, I I I sell the chair. I let go of Bob. He he laid in the ring, completely out, and and Skolin's in the ring, mattered hell at me because I broke his cigar and threw it <laughs> in his face, and I was cheating, yeah. and, uh, and you know he got in the ring to help just simmer down the people a little bit. Huh. But there's the the world champion completely out. I didn't lose the match. I won the match. I was that my hand was raised because Arnold hit me over the head with a chair. Yeah. The only thing I did get was the title. And so the people were were believers. I mean, they, yeah. good they, build up. This stuff, uh, when I, he puts a cobra clutch on somebody. That's it. Well, and then you're going to meet him that that Monday, and then talk about build up, and and those were were the days. So you talk about heat, Sarge. Back oh, yeah. then, uh, oh, you yeah. don't see that anymore. I mean, people, you you'd have to uh, fight for your lives sometimes to get back to the locker yeah. room. Oh yeah, and, and cities all over it's, the it's country. Storytelling, storytelling. Yeah, you know, it's something that they could follow. It was kind of in slow motion, kind of way. Yeah. And uh, the the harder the the match was, like a cage match or a death match or a strap match, or the more those kind of matches you were in, the slower you worked. It was like like Pat Patterson always told me, slow motion. Yeah. And you, if you ever watched the alley fight with Pat Patterson and I from yeah. Madison Square Garden, I think Legendary. it was in 1981. Yeah. It's called the alley fight. You'll see a slow motion match, but everybody was on their feet through the whole whole thing yeah. and couldn't get enough of it right. and, and you couldn't uh, you couldn't do that today you, you, you know people don't no. you got to be moving every right. so you couldn't do an arm bar for yeah. you know right two minutes right. or well, that's uh, what they had seen you know that's that's yeah. what made the sarge get over so quickly yeah. was here comes a guy that's uh 300 pounds six foot six doing drop kicks coming off the yeah. top rope with <laughs> With all these moves, and, yeah. and I could do anything that a hundred, a two hundred pounder could do, yeah. even better. And I moved like a cat, and they'd never seen anything like that. They yeah. they were watching Bruno Sarmantino, like you said, with an arm bar, with a you know a leg lock for uh, yeah. five twenty five ten minutes, yeah. and all of a sudden you know it's a faster pace, but it's still a you know story. Yeah, story was being told, and so I get back to the dressing room from Madison Square Garden. And uh, Mr. McMahon just can't get enough of me. He's hugging me. Uh, I'm talking about senior. Yeah. And, and he says, Sarge, that was incredible, incredible. But I got some bad news for you. And I said, what? He said, Bob has to go to Japan. So you can't have a rematch with Bob in <laughs> Madison Square I said, oh, geez. He said, but I got some good news for you. And I said, what's that? He said, how about working with Bruno Sarmartino? <laughs> Wow. I said, you're kidding. Yeah, said, no, I'm book, book you and Bruno. He said, Bruno hasn't wrestled for quite a while. And so I'm going to have to talk him into it, but I, I'm sure he'll he'll want to work with you. So I get uh, going, and, and about two days later, I get a phone call. Yep, you're all set. Bob's going to Japan, and Bruno and you are going to headline uh, Madison Square Garden. So... We have this match, and it's a complete different match than I have with Bob Backlund. Bruno is like a fire truck. I mean, he doesn't stop. Hmm. He just go, 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 you know, and, uh, you know, he just 
was that that was his his style i guess he figured that's what he had to do with me i don't know if he did that with everybody but mm. we ended up uh uh having a uh double count out and uh people were coming you know even though we had a double count they were coming over the railings and they <laughs> were trying to get at me and and uh lo and behold i i, I didn't know this for quite a while, but that was uh, Bruno's last single match in Madison Square Garden. I had his last singles match. He had, mm-hmm. had a few tag matches with his son and a couple six-man tags, but I was his last single match. And he was still in good shape then? What's that? Was he still in good shape then? I mean, he was... Uh... Oh, tremendous shape. Yeah. He was tremendous shape. Yeah. Unbelievable shape. And, and uh, in fact, the night that I wrestled... Uh, out. my uh, wife uh, flew in to New York, and we were going to spend a couple of days in New York. And uh, when we were going back to our hotel, and, and we had a bite to eat, went to our hotel, went to the Carnegie Deli, yep. and, which is very no more. Cool, but, yeah, uh, we got to the hotel, and we found out that uh, John Lennon had died, got oh, killed, yeah. got, got murdered, or shot. Yeah, that was uh, December eighth. So I always remember the date, December eighth. Uh, was when I wrestled Bruno Sarmartino. It was the same night that uh, John Lennon oh. died. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. You know, it just you go through these matches and you talk about, uh, you know, Andre liked to work with you. And, uh, you know, we've heard it many times. Either Andre likes you or he did not. And you did not want to be mm-hmm. on that side of him. Why do you think uh, he liked you, for one thing, and then why you work so well with him? Well, I, I think he liked me because I... Uh, I was kind of a, a man's man, and which Andre was, and uh, he he liked to play cards, and I played cards. You know, I played cards since I was a little boy with my dad and mom and all our neighbors and things. We'd have card parties, and and I played cribbage, which not too many guys did. And mm-hmm. Andre loved cribbage and loved gin, and Arnie Scolan, you know, played gin and played cribbage and. And I actually started uh, having gin tournaments and cribbage tournaments, you know, and and uh, doing a double eliminations. Guys would put, you know, put a hundred dollars in the pot, and and uh, you'd have to lose like uh, twice in order to be out. So if you lost the first time, you could go back in the losers bracket and end up back in the finals. Mm-hmm. It was like a, you know, a, a great uh, thing to do on the side. And we we not only do it in the locker rooms, but we do it in the hotels. Yeah. And, and, hours and uh, hours. There was always cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Alfred Hayes loved. Uh, oh cards. yeah, cribbage. I'll tell you a sh- uh, quick story about Alfred. He was uh, in Montreal, and I was living in uh, New Jersey while I was working uh, for for Vince. And uh, uh, this is my second uh, tour of duty with uh, with the WWE. And uh, when I came in, uh, they were so happy. They, they, uh, Vincent and uh, both Vincent and Pat and a bunch of other guys, we all went out after the matches and we had dinner and they were having some drinks at the bar. And, and Vince Sr. is just, oh, Sergeant, oh, Sergeant, I'm so glad you're back. Because back then you only stayed, you know, six to eight months, to yeah. nine months, not, not much longer, and then you, you would go. He didn't want to work to another know, territory, to and so uh, I'm so glad you're back. And and there's no better uh, villain, no better heel in the business ever. 
and uh, I'm hearing all this, hearing all this, and so I said to him, well, if Vince, if you think Sergeant Slaughter is such a great uh, villain, you ought to see him as a hero, a, a baby face. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you've got the Iron Sheik mm-hmm. from Iran, and I said, uh, Iran, I should say, and I, you've got uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, mm-hmm. you got the Black Hawks going down, you got the embassy uh, and the... Uh, uh, the hostage situation. I said, you know, we never got a chance to punch Ayatollah Khomeini right in the nose for all that. No, we never got any retribution. Right. Why don't you let Sergeant Slaughter, the United States Marine Corps, go after the Iron Sheik and just kick his ass for the United States of America and for all the wrestling fans. And and, and he's, he's nodding his head, nodding his head. And, uh, he's, and then all of a sudden he starts shaking his head, no. No, 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 no. Sergeant, 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 you could never be a hero. You have to always be a villain. No way can you be a a hero. And I look over his shoulder, and there's Vince, you know, Jr., who's taken over the business. Yeah. And he's like, his slive is coming out of his mouth. And he's shaking his head, yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And and he says, Pops, Pops. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. And he turns and he, he grabs Vince by the shirt and he says, don't you ever do that. Don't you ever make Sergeant Slaughter a hero. I don't care. He's never going to be a hero. <laughs> so he, and he gets up and he walks away and Vince comes over to me and he says, don't worry about Pops. I'll take care of him. <laughs> I love that. I love that idea. So, so I, I come back uh, to a, uh, become the uh, the hero yeah. and and before i before i did that uh i'm, I'm doing uh, some promos uh for the new magazine it's called victory magazine yeah and uh they had this kid uh watching television and i'm in the, in the television you know it's, it's uh, hollowed out and all that and he says something about uh, victory magazine and i i tell him what he's, you know, I put him down and, and make him feel bad. And so, uh, you know, Victory Magazine, you know, and, and uh, this was the first time that we started doing, um, you know, uh, merchandise and things like that. Yeah. And and so I said to, I took Vince aside, uh, Vince Jr. now, I, I don't want to keep telling him Jr., but uh, Mr. McMahon, I'll call him Mr. McMahon. I went to Mr. McMahon and I said, are you going to go, you know, uh, in other countries with us? Are you going to go overseas with the Victory Magazine? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I said, well, uh, my friend, Lord Alfred Hayes, is in my apartment. Alfred had been up in Montreal, was starving to death. Yeah. And uh, I, ta- I talked <clears throat> to him. And I said, why don't you come down here and stay with me until, you know, you see what's going to happen. So he comes down and, and uh, he said, oh, thank you, Matthew. Oh, my God. I was up there with Billy Robinson and, and I was star- I'm was i starving to death. And, you know, you know, you'd see he was, had lost a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, don't worry about a thing, Alfred. We'll, we'll get things going. So he's at my apartment. So I said to Vince, uh, uh, Mr. McMahon, uh, if you're going to go uh, overseas with this, I get Lord Alfred Hayes sitting at my apartment. He, he does a great promo, and it'd be great for you to. He said, 
he said, your apartment? I said, yeah. He said, tell him. Tell him this, we were in Allentown. Yeah. So I call up Alfred, and he's, he's at home. And, and uh, Matthew, how are you? And he'd been in the uh, Scots a little bit. And I said, Alfred, can you uh, can you uh, drive over to Allentown, Pennsylvania? I, got, I think I got something for you. He says, oh, of course, Matthew, I will. Oh, yeah. So he shows up about uh, maybe two three hours later mm-hmm. and uh it's takes him in and says here's what i'd like you to do i want you to do a promo about victory magazine now he says is there anything i can do for you he says do you have a cup and saucer and, and he said a cup and saucer he said yeah yeah a cup and saucer <laughs> and uh Vince goes gets him a cup and saucer and uh <laughs> alfred looks at it and he's kind of looking it over and he goes and puts some water in it Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're getting ready to do their promo, and he's got uh, his tuxedo on. So uh, he said, "Okay, here's what I want you to say, and and just use your own words, you know." Albert. So Albert does this unbelievable promo about Victory Magazine, and at the end, he takes a big sip of his tea, you know, how he <laughs> and and he goes, "Victory Magazine, so good with a cup of tea." <laughs> and and uh, Vince comes over. He says, "Unbelievable! That's one take." I love it. <laughs> and he says, "Unbelievable!" And he comes over to me. And he says, "Thank you, thank you. That's that's great. That's great." And so let's see. I know uh, Vince is asking me what Alfred's up to. And I said, well, "He's not doing anything. He's staying at my apartment." He yeah. says, "Well, I put him to work." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's how Alfred got got into the uh, WWE. Wow, that's a great story. Ended up, uh, ended up into the office and yeah. into the uh, production end of it. And helped so much and, and got into uh, Tuesday Night Titans yep. with uh, Vince and being his uh, you know, Ed McMahon type uh, character and, and uh, just was a delight to be around. Yeah. Uh, he had a major impact on my life. Was, and, uh, yeah, but I would have never made it my in the WWF that first year if it wasn't for Alfred because uh, for oh. for some reason he took me under his wing and and you know it's funny because you mentioned nobody gets in easy with Alfred uh, initially he's very uh, you know uh, suspicious but what but if if you went, if you get past that he is he was the most loyal wonderful person you could possibly be around. Yes, yes, I shared a house with him in. Uh, Stanford, Connecticut, uh, on his last uh, year uh, or two with uh, the WWE, and yeah. and it was pitiful. You know, he had yeah. a lot of head arthritis in yeah. his hands and knees and and his feet and yeah. uh, his 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 ankles and and to hear him get up in the morning, I I slept downstairs in the, in the basement in the uh he called it the, the dungeon the dungeon the bath who you stay in the dungeon and i said okay Alfred. and so uh, i would hear him get up uh to go to work and he would shower and it was just painful to hear it. Yeah. Uh, and uh and now i i think of of uh you know i i, I would kind of go through the, the same thing before i had my uh my hips operated on that that he was probably going through and and uh, it just it was just not fun to to hear, but uh, he ended up down in Texas, and uh, he would not. I would when we started uh, uh, doing the Playboy uh, uh, with 
Hugh Hefner and, and having some of the uh, lady uh, superstars being in the magazines. Uh, in fact, that's another story. I don't know if we have time to tell that, but but uh, uh, he, he just uh, I would get the girls to sign, you know, to Alfred and send them to him in Texas, but mm-hmm. I never got any response. And he, it was kind of like him telling me that he didn't want me to see him like he was. Yeah. You know, he, he had a place, he had a place in Florida for a while and then he gave it up. And I used to go down there a lot and visit him and, and Pat and I and, and a, a bunch of the guys with Joe golfing and, and things like that. And then when he ended up in Texas, he just became a recluse and I never, uh, I could never get him to return my calls. Yeah. And a fellow that uh, I met at the Cauliflower Alley Club uh, said that he was uh, with Alfred his last uh, few months and that he was just kind of like curled up like a a baby and he just was like, uh, you know, his his hands and his feet were all just not not a very uh, wonderful sight to see. And I'm kind of glad I didn't get to see it, but I I didn't get to say goodbye to him. That's the only thing I did yeah, and uh, I, I actually, I, I'm not going to tell the whole story. I'll share it with you someday, Sarge, when we actually get a chance to uh, see each other again. But I, I actually went to Dallas. I got on a plane. Uh, one of the people that, uh, a neighbor who had befriended him called me, and uh, I, I got on a plane and went over to see him. And um, it was, I, I at least I got the chance to say goodbye to him. But I don't, I, you know, he was just a very private person, and I I thought that you know I, I I think that once I we actually got to see each other sat down and talked but it was the same way I don't think he wanted me to see him that way and yeah. uh, that's that stayed with me but I cherish the fact that I did get to see him and I I I knew when I walked out of there that uh, I wasn't going to see him again he he was right but, uh, at that point uh, but we will share stories again uh, about Alfred. Uh, I, yeah, I, well, I kept you along. Last uh, time I saw him was in, uh, at the Cauliflower Alley Club. They gave him an award. Yeah. And uh, myself and Roddy Piper uh, presented it to him. And uh, he was in a wheelchair. And uh, I was, you know, the prankster. I'd, I'd take the wheelchair and I'd have it almost going through the door. And then I'd, I'd sidestep it. And, and he'd go, oh, Matthew, yeah. what? be careful, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. So we went up to, I uh, got him up to his room, and I and I said, I'm going to go back down and uh, see what Piper wants to do, and then we'll meet for something to eat, go have a drink. He says, okay, that'd be fine. So I came back up to his room, and his uh, his award was completely demolished, you know, in the room. And evidently, he just uh, had a pity party and just destroyed that thing. Mm. And I asked about it later that night, and he said, well, Matthew, I just didn't want to have to hold it home. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's awesome. He said, no, I figured if it, was, if it was demolished, I wouldn't have to take it home. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I had no place to put it. I, I had nowhere to put it. Yeah. Well, I know, like, uh, like me, I know you miss him uh, every day. Oh, he was, he was, a, he was every, someone else at the... Uh, so was had such an impact on my life. I told you, but uh, yeah. anyway, we will yeah. share stories again about his lordship. Uh, I've kept you a while, but I we do have to talk about a couple of these quick these runs that you had with the WWF because WWE because they they're legendary. The, the, you mentioned in '94 when you uh, this this run against the Iron Sheik, and it was the timing of it was perfect. The, you talk about heat. 
uh, my God, uh, you, it, I, I still, I still remember, uh, and I wasn't working for the company at the time, but um, this is when the the WWF was beginning to really, uh, the wave was beginning, and uh, that uh, had to. You had been in rings before and had experienced heat, but I can't imagine you ever had seen uh, seen it like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, as I said. The first time I was in uh, uh, the WWF uh, slash WWE, I left as the heel, as the uh, the villain, and I came back for my second uh, tour of duty, and I I did the run with the Iron Sheik. Yeah. Uh, When when Vince told me that he wanted to to do it, and he talked Pops into it, he came to me one night at Allentown, Pennsylvania, and he said, are you ready to, to do it? And I said, do what? He goes, I want you to go against the Iron Sheik. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. Uh, he said, Sheik doesn't know you're coming. I don't want him to know. Huh. Uh, Lassie doesn't know you're coming. He said, all I want to do is when the time is right, I'm going to hit your music. Now, everybody's using music now. Right. But we had to... Uh, so we used my, uh, the, he said, I'll play your music and you go out and you, you uh, challenge him. And I said, okay. And he said, and give me your best general patent promo. Yeah. So I said, okay. So I got uh, two minutes to think about what I want to do and what I'm going to say. So as soon as he's leaving, he, he's ready to go. And, and as we all know, who knows Vince, that he doesn't let uh, anything, you know, hold him up too long. So, mm-hmm. I, I, first hour I went out, everybody booed me, hated me. My first, you know, couple of weeks back, uh, a couple months back. So now I go out to the first match and they're booing me, blah, blah, blah. And the sheet goes out, does his fail. And so the third hour, uh, the sheet, he just did a promo. The third hour, sheet is wrestling. And he's uh, out uh, wrestling, uh, some uh, little baby face, and he just kills the, the poor kid. And he's beating him up and beating him up and beating him up, and all of a sudden I hear the music play. And I'm not even really watching. We didn't have monitors back then. Right, yeah. you know, we had to either you know look through the door or, or hear what was going on. So all of a sudden I hear the Marine Corps hymn hit, <laughs> and I don't even have my campaign cover. So I grab a baseball cap, and I... I run out the door and I make my way up and it was like the people couldn't quite understand what was going on. They were here. They see the iron cheek beating up this poor guy and they hear the Marine Corps music. And all of a sudden it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it started getting louder and louder and louder. And I, here I come. And they were just like, you know, dumbfounded. And all of a sudden I started walking toward the ring and they were all like standing on their chairs. Go, sir. Go, sir. So I uh, I uh, start making my way to the ring. Here comes the Iron Sheik. He doesn't know what's going on. Blasi doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> so I said, Sheik, you want to mess around with some, somebody? Mess around with me. You know, and we, we had a kind of an eyeball to each other and kind of uh, said a few words to each other. And he, he walks off. Blasi gets him out of there. Blasi didn't know what to do. And Sheik is, you know. He's uh, like he walked into a closet. He didn't know where, where he was at. <laughs> and so I get up and I help the, the kid out and uh, get him out of the ring. And so I grab the microphone. 
and I I challenged the Iron Sheik to a match. I said, Iron Sheik, if you want to hurt somebody, if you want to uh, wrestle somebody, I declare war on you, you know. And uh, there's one, one thing I did when I was a young boy in school and when I was in the Cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts and in the Marine Corps, and I put my hand over my heart and I started doing the Pledge of Allegiance. Well, I'm telling you, uh, it, it still brings hair up on my arms. People stood up on their chairs. They had their disposable lighters lit, and they're all saying the Pledge of Allegiance with me. Mm. And I got out of the ring, and I couldn't hardly get to the dressing room. They're, they mobbed me. Mm. They just want to get a piece of me. And, and so I get back to, to the dressing room, and anybody who knows Allentown back then, it wasn't much of a dressing room. And they're they're about ready to tear the walls down because they're pushing and shoving and and uh, you can hear them all USA USA mm. and, and and back when I was wrestling the uh, backline I used to tell backline call me Gomer call me Gomer so he would start the Gomer deal so they're all chanting Gomer go mm. and I I stuck my head out of the dressing room and I was like with him like Gomer like like Kurt Angle does you know. You suck. Yeah. You suck. And I'm going, Gomer, and I was smiling and happy, and they're all going crazy. So anyway, we had this this run with the Iron Chief. Yeah, turned them in one and, night. Uh, just went went crazy. And so Vince says, "I've got an appearance for you." This is like a, a week after, and I go to Harvard Square in Boston, Massachusetts, for a, a book uh, a bookstore for a signing. I think they were having the Victory Magazine or some magazine at that time that they wanted me to sign. So I'm in the in the car with uh, a guy that's uh, uh, Steve. Uh, he was a photographer with the, the WWE. Steve Taylor. And hey, Steve Taylor. Yeah. Good memory. And so he's with me, and we're bogged down. We're about three, four blocks from the uh, Harvard Square. Can't get through. So he said, I'll go see what the holdup is. So he's gone for about 20 minutes, and we had moved maybe uh, maybe a car length, and he comes back and he's like white, and he goes, Sarge, they're here to see you. Oh. I said, what? He said, the reason it's a traffic jam is there's thousands of people. I don't know, I don't know what to do. I, I, I guess we're gonna have to get you out of the car and walk. And I said, okay, Steve, no problem. I, let me get my stuff on, you know? So I, I'm dressing in the back of the limo, and, and I get out of the limo, and I, I head to the uh, Harvard Square. And as I was telling you, my military background, the first thing I do is I look up in the, the buildings, and there's buildings with people everywhere. There had to be, uh, I'm not uh, exaggerating, three to 4,000 people just, you know, on the ground. And then there was all these people in the buildings sticking out of windows, you know, American flags. And just USA chance, hmm. and there's a picture that my youngest daughter gave me for Christmas one year that has an upper uh, shot, a sky shot down on me with all the people. There's not a line; it's just surround the whole table where I'm sitting is surrounded. There's no end in sight. Yeah. And how she ever found that picture? Somebody had it online, and she saw it, and she got it for me. And it's just an incredible uh, explosion of from going from the most hated villain in WWE history to the most loved 
you know, hero of, yeah. of all time. I, I got done with that. I watched his TV for the next tapings in Allentown. There was eight sacks, I'm talking sacks, of mail hmm. for me, just for me. Wow. And it was letters from people. Uh, uh, people were sending me their, their fathers and their, their mothers, whoever they had served in the military, their uh, utility caps, their, their medals, their uh, pictures, and money, you know, send me back an autograph, mm. do this and do that. And, and I spent, you know, three days going through uh, eight sacks of mail. And I'll be, I, I answered every damn one of them, you know. Mm. And uh, it was just an incredible, and you know, <laughs> from Sergeant Slaughter, the most hated, I walked out for my first match after I'd done the thing with the Sheik, and there's big signs, Slaughter for President, yeah. Goldberg for President, yeah. you know. And, so we went through that whole whole thing, and then uh, I left again. And then I uh, uh, had come back, and uh, this was the era uh, where Vince was uh, starting to do the action figures and, and all those things. Yeah. And so uh, I was living in Connecticut, and uh, I got a call from my attorney who had a friend up in Rhode Island who worked for Hasbro. And uh, so they said uh, they'd like to, to meet with you, thinking about using Sergeant Slaughter in G.I. Joe. And I said, G.I. Joe, the cartoon? And they said, yeah. So I said, oh, let's go up there. So I had my camouflage limo at that time. And we, uh, my attorney and I, we drove from Connecticut up to uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, pulled that uh, camouflage limo with the American flags flying in the air on the front fenders and stopped right in front of the office and by that time everybody I told the driver to go around the block a few times you know and uh, so everybody saw that camouflage limo with my name on it Yeah, and they come running out of buildings and, and wherever they could get out of and before I could walk into the uh, Pawtucket Hasbro headquarters I had a mob scene already so uh -huh. I walk in and, and we have the big meeting with them and the one we're going a new direction. We're going to do, you know, want a, a real live uh, character to be our spokesperson. You know, someone that really is a real person. We we love your character. And I said, okay, so let's think about it. So uh, I, before I left, I said, well, just remember, I'm the real GI Joe. I'm not a action figure. I'm not a animated person i'm the real deal i'm mm -hmm. sergeant slaughter gi joe so they all kind of looked at me and, and we walked out we got about halfway back and my, my attorney and i decided to stop and have some some dinner so he calls his office and his secretary said uh, we didn't have cell phones down I mean, she said uh, they hasbro's already called and they they want to sign you up mm -hmm. I said oh, really so so then i had to go to vince so I said, hey, Vince, guess what? I'm uh, I'm going to be G.I. Joe, the real American hero. And he, he's all happy and we're talking about it. And uh, he said, well, that's great, Sarge, but uh, I can't let you go to do it. And I said, why not? He said, because I got another toy company, you know, and uh, LJM. And uh, we're going to be doing cartoons and we're going to be doing this and doing that. And he said, but, uh, you know, if you want to go, you can go, but you can't be with, here with us. You know, I can't, I can't 
it'd be a conflict of interest. I said, oh my God, it bursted my bubble, you know? Mm-hmm. So I went home, dejected not to know what to do. And, and so uh, that became a kind of a bad situation between Vince and I. And, and I, I, finally I just, I gave him my notice and he said, you're not leaving, you're not leaving. I can't, you can't leave. I said, I gotta leave, I gotta go. And I said, I can always be a wrestler, Vince, but I can't always be a G.I. Joe. Yeah. And, he said, and I imagine the money was pretty good, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so I had to miss all that I had worked for, all that hard work and going through what I did to start WrestleMania One. I had to miss it, yeah. you know. And prior so to this, I, I, but Bob, I had to miss the first six, first six WrestleManias I had to miss, so... Yeah. Uh, that's but, when I got the call from Vince. Uh, I was watching a NASCAR race one Sunday afternoon, and phone rings. Hello, Sarge. Yes, Vince. Oh, hey, Vince. It's only one Sarge, one Vince. You know. Yeah. So he <laughs> said, uh, "Here, your contract's up with uh, Hasbro." I said, "Well, funny, you should know that." Mm. You know. He goes, "Well, are you ready to go back to work?" I said, "Yeah, I'm ready." He said, well, come to my house uh, tomorrow, and we'll, we'll talk about it. I got an idea for you. I said, okay. So my wife and I and, and the, the girls, we have dinner that night, and I guess, guess where I'm going tomorrow? Where? To Vince McMahon's house. Oh, what? What's going on? I said, well, I think Vince come to his senses, <laughs> and he's going to take Sergeant Slaughter the real American hero, G.I. Joe, and he's going to make Sergeant Slaughter the real, 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 real American hero, G.I. Joe. And I kept thinking, now, how is he going to do this? You know, how is he going to do this? Because uh, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior were pretty pretty well established. And, and so I go to his, his home, and uh, we have this meeting, and uh, he says, uh, here's, my, here's my plan. WrestleMania six had just ended like two weeks before that. And he said, I want to go to WrestleMania seven with you and, and Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. And I said, really, you're going to make Hulk a, a heel. And he goes, no, I'll make you a heel. Mm-hmm. I said, you're going to make Sergeant Slaughter, GI Joe a heel. Come on. And he goes, no, here's, here's my plan. So he, he shows me a, uh, a drawing of the LA Coliseum. 104,000 seat capacity, screens everywhere, big screens on four sides of the uh, Coliseum, and he shows me the, you know, the the diagram and all that. He said, I want to put 104,000 people in here, and I know you and Hogan can do it. And I said, well, how are you going to do it? He said, well, here's the situation. You know what's going on over in Kuwait? And I said, yeah. He said, well, what I want to do is bring you back as a sympathizer for Saddam Hussein and, and Iraq. That you can't understand how the military of the United States of America could be so weak and allow Saddam Hussein to overtake Kuwait and and not do anything about it. And that they're, you know, he goes through the whole thing. I, I yeah. don't want to go through it all. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just kind of like floored. I'm kind of like listening to him and. And you know how Vince gets into the, the character. And uh, I'm shaking my head, and he goes, what do you think? I said, I love it. He said, well, I want you to go home and talk to your, your family, talk to your wife and your, your children, 
because it could be, you know, some ramification, you know. And uh, I said, well, okay. Well, but as soon as I got in my car, I knew I was like screaming and hollering and singing. And, and I was so happy that not only was I back with the WWE, but I was going to be a, a heel again. Yeah. And, and uh, so then we, we started doing the vignettes out of different uh, bases and things. And, and you were start, you you were in into that that part of it where where I uh, you know just uh, I started out uh, by myself you yeah. know and down America and, and uh, how weak they are and how they could let uh, Saddam Hussein overtake Kuwait without any you know problem and blah 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 yeah. so then uh, we got to uh, to where. Vince thought that maybe we should have somebody else, you know, join me. So I said, well, how about a, uh, a, a manager? And he goes, well, who do you think? And I said, well, there's a guy in Minnesota by the name of Adnan L. Casey, mm -hmm. but he goes as a sheik. And I said, he's from Iraq. Yeah. And I said, if I'm not mistaken, he went to college with Saddam Hussein. He's <laughs> white. Wow. What, what better guy? I'll bring him in as my general. Yeah. He says, okay. So he makes the calls, or whoever he has make the calls. We're in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, and uh, here comes uh, Adnan Al Casey. Hmm. You know, not General Adnan. At all. So he says, well, go put your outfit on and, and come back here in my office and show Sergeant I. So here comes uh, Adnan, walks into Vince's room, and I thought Saddam Hussein had walked in the door. <laughs> He looked exactly like Saddam Hussein, uh. and he had a, a plastic gun and holster on his side. <laughs> and I said, that's unbelievable, but get rid of that damn gun. Don't give anybody any ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it says, oh, yeah, yeah, get rid of that. Uh. He said, uh, so uh, he started, he said, give me a, a promo like you would do, do if, you know, you were Sarge's guy. So he started doing this Arabic promo and, and i just like my my uh, i was grinning from ear to ear mm. and i said this is it this is it so our first night in hershey pennsylvania we had we had a riot going yeah. and it was just uh incredible how well we we worked together and he would just talk in arabic and then gene or, or you or uh, uh brother love would uh say what did what did uh, he just say? And I said, this is what the general just said. <laughs> I would start my promo. Yeah. Whether what he said. Whatever it was. So uh, it's, we got so much heat. Yeah. Oh. One night, I believe it was Philadelphia, uh, Gene Orkelman refused to promo us. He said, I'm, I'm not going out there. Somebody's going to get shot. Somebody's going to get killed. Huh. And so uh, Bruce Pritchard said, I'll do it. I'll do it as brother loves. So he goes out there and I, I think it was one of my first or second promos with uh, Adnan, and uh, I mean we just had him <laughs> going crazy in Philadelphia, and uh, from that point on it was uh, bar, uh, Katie bar the doors. So we we started uh, on our path, and it's just taking it nice and slow, nice and easy, getting win after win after win, and then Vince uh, calls me up. Uh, Sarge, we got a little change of plans. I said, oh, yeah. not stop. And he goes, no. Uh, Randy Savage broke his, his hand against the Warriors last night. 
and uh, I've got to put you in with the Warrior and finish up all their matches that that are already booked, you know. And I said, oh, okay, you know. He said, I'm going to give you uh, Sherry. Let me put Sherry with you for a while, and then uh, we'll, we'll put Adnan back with you. So I think Adnan went with somebody else for a while, or, or maybe he just stayed out of the picture. And uh, so I had Sherry, and and we did all kinds of matches with uh, the Ultimate Warrior. We that must have been an experience. Matches. Oh man! First time I wrestled the uh, Ultimate Warrior, uh, he, he was supposed to hit me with three clotheslines. The first one I could hardly get up from, yeah, and I made it up for the next two. But I got back to the dressing room, and I and I kind of made it clear. <laughs> uh, that he could hear it. That uh, if anybody else, uh, if anybody hits me with a clothesline like that again, they better be ready for a receipt. Yeah. And so he kind of gave me a nod, and he kind of, kind of whispered to himself, "I'm sorry, sorry." So uh, then we got along just fine after that, because I would give him receipts back, and yeah. he knew if he hit me, you know, way too hard, I, I could take a punch. But, you know, you want to get up and finish the match. You don't yeah. want to be knocked out. And you got to keep working. Yeah, yeah. keep working. So, you know, we, we went on this uh, rampage, and, and uh, we got to uh, a Royal Rumble in Miami, and uh, it was time for uh, for us to set up uh, WrestleMania 7. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Randy was healed, and he was ready to go back to a warrior. So we... Uh, did the the thing where Randy came out and hit him with a scepter, and, and uh, I didn't really have to pin uh, uh, the warrior. Uh, he hit him so hard, I think it was kind of a receipt for breaking his hand. <laughs> and all I had to do was put a finger on him, and I could have pinned him. But, yeah. You know, instead of you know doing the quick one, two, three, I got up and I threw an elbow on him, like like I, you know, was the one that caused him to, to lose. So I. Threw an elbow on him, covered him, and from you one, two, three. So I didn't want everybody to say, well, Randy Savage is the one that, you know, right, yeah. so I put the elbow in there. So I could always say, well, I hit him with the elbow. You know? <laughs> right. So uh, just, uh, uh, you know, what I learned over those years with uh, Harley Race and, and all those other great generals in the ring. But, so off to the races, uh, I go with Hogan and. Uh, yeah, what a my final WrestleMania. Before I go off with uh, with Hogan, we have a, a cage match in uh, Orlando, Florida with Ultimate Warrior and I. The, the two nights before that, I have a match with him in New Haven, Connecticut. And some guy in the third row decides he's going to go help the Warrior. And he jumps out of his seat, goes through the three rows, Jumps up on the cage, climbs in the cage, mm. matches over, and the next thing I know, here come the nasty boys, <laughs> and, and they clean this guy's clock. Yeah, you come in the ring. All the right. There was no for the guy to go. He's in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> so two days later, we find out the guy was a uh, a fugitive. He was on uh, uh, that show. America's where, Most uh, Wanted, or something. Most wanted. He was on there. <laughs> and so the nasty boys and I got kind of a pat on the back from the guy that uh, ran that show. And in fact, he came and made an appearance, told us, told everybody how, how that happened, you know. Oh, so uh, anyway, the last match in uh, Orlando with uh, the Ultimate Warrior, 
Adnan and I are now together. And so I said, Adnan, stop over here at this uh, vegetable store or whatever it is, kind of a place down in Orlando. So I go in and I, I get a, a vegetable and and I got it in the bag and, and he's kind of looking at me and kind of smiling. He said, what, what are you doing? I said, I'll show you. I'll show you. So we get to the, uh, to the match and we get ready to have the match. And I take this potato out of my bag and I stick it in my trunks. <laughs> and he said, what are you doing? You trying to advertise or something? And I said, no, you'll see. You'll see. I don't want to tell you. I want you to have a big laugh as I'm going to have with it. So we go, we start having the match and I told the lawyer to give me a couple of clotheslines. So he gives me a clothesline, gives me another clothesline. The third clothesline, I take the potato out of my pants and I throw it up in the air after he hits me the third clothesline. And it goes bouncing all around the mat. You know, it's got nowhere to go because there's a cage. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer just stops in his tracks and he looks down at that potato and he looks and he's wondering, how the hell did that potato get in here? And, and he's trying to figure somebody threw a potato in there. And I, I roll over and I look at Adnan and he's, he has to hide his face with his shawl because he's laughing. And I have to put my hand over my face because I'm laughing. And I said, <laughs> potato, potato, you get a kid, potato. And that's the last one I take it from. <laughs> and, and Jim started to laugh and you know, he never, never cracked in the ring, never yeah, laughed. Yeah. He grabbed that potato and to keep people from seeing him laughing, he tried to put it down my throat like he was trying to put it in my yeah, mouth yeah. and was laughing and laughing and laughing. And so uh, uh, he, when we got back, we, we had a laugh about it, but on uh, the, the, the WrestleMania, when he came his for the induction for the uh, Hall of Fame, the next uh, night when we had uh, the uh, yeah the WrestleMania, I looked all day for him. I looked everywhere, for yeah. him. and I had stopped and got a potato and I had it in uh. my back, and, and so I kept looking for him. I kept looking for him. I kept looking for him. But finally, I walked by a room and I see him, and I happened to have the potato with me. So I, he's doing a promo, and I just kind of itched my way in, and uh, he sees me. And he's doing this promo with a, a bunch of guys, and I take the potato and I, I show him the potato, and he started to laugh, <laughs> and he started to laugh, and then he started doing the promo, and he grabs me, and brings me to the camera, and he says, "This guy, you know, went yeah. through the whole thing, yeah. how I had this potato in the ring, and it was a, the funniest thing that ever happened to him, and, uh. and uh, but uh, then all hell broke loose." You know, uh, I uh, was in uh, Miami with him. Uh, this is before the last match when I won the title. Yeah. That night, I had my uh, legitimate agent with me. His name is Rory Rosegarden, who produced all the uh, Everybody Loves Raymond shows. Yeah, well. And uh, he, uh, he's with me. And we had to do promos all night at, in the Miami auditorium. Uh, arena there and so it got pretty late it's about three o'clock in the morning and finally we got out of there and i'm hungry and he's hungry and so we stopped at a place and it wasn't like a a regular restaurant it was just kind of a hole in the wall so we go in there and 
there's only like three or four of us in there. Mm-hmm. And we're waiting, and we're waiting. Finally, uh, I said to, to the lady, I said, can we get some service? You know, we've been waiting for a while. And so this guy comes out of the kitchen, and he's all in white, got a white hat on. He's a, he's a chef, yeah. cook. And he walks out, and he rolls up his uh, sleeve of his T-shirt. He's got a United States Marine Corps you know, tattoo, tattoo on his arm. Yeah. And, he, and he says to the, to the lady, you stand right there for a second. He walks over to me, and he says, your friend there? Is he your friend? I said, yes. He said, he can eat. He points at me and goes, you're not. <laughs> Man. Because he, 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 he didn't watch the show yeah, that night yeah. before he went to the paper for you before he went to work. Yeah. So I said to my friend, uh, I think we should probably get out of here. You know? so <laughs> it's a rain, yeah. Off we went, off we went, and next day he, he goes back to New York, and I go to Philadelphia. And I get to uh, Philadelphia uh, arena, and I notice that people are like, when I'm going through the airports, they're, you know, eyeballing me. and Glaring. And glaring. <laughs> and I, I get to uh, the car. Now, by this time, now I, uh, because I'm the champion, I get a, uh, a car, and uh, I make my way to the arena, and I, I get in a little early. I said, I'm, instead of checking in at the hotel, I'm going to go right to the arena. So I go in, I see uh, Jay Strombo. He was the road agent. He said, Sarge, how you doing? I said, yeah, good. Made it through last night okay? I said, yeah. He said, that's the hottest thing I've seen, you know, in this business. And uh, you're on your way, kid. And I said, well, good. He said, have you talked to Vince today? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, have you talked to your wife? I said, no, I haven't talked to my wife. I said, is there a problem? He goes, well, I don't know, but you might want to call one of them or call them both. <laughs> so I find a pay phone and I call uh, my wife first there's no answer i leave a message so i call vince and of course he's at the office he says hey sarge everything good said, yeah yeah he said you're all right i said yeah I'm, I'm fine he said well uh have you talked to your wife i said no is there a problem and he said well i hope not but he said uh somebody uh called the office this morning and they threatened to kill you and they threatened to kill your family Threatened to kill me, Jeez. kill my family. Threatened to blow up uh, your house, blow up my house, blow up the office and the studio. So he said, I took a precaution to call your wife, and I asked her if she could spend the night at a friend's house <laughs> or in a hotel until uh, I can get some security at your house. Wow. I said, oh, oh, thank you very much. So uh, I finally get a hold of my wife, and she's kind of like laughing. She said... Because when I told her, when I came home from Vince's house that, that night, when he told me he wanted to be the Iraqi sympathizer, she said, you, you can't do that. You're, you're G.I. Joe. You, you cannot be a, an Iraqi sympathizer. You're going to get killed. And I said, well, let's see how it goes. <laughs> so, so first thing, she's laughing. And she said, Bob? I said, yeah. She says, I told you so. Yeah. I said, yeah, I heard that things aren't going so yes. well at the house. She said, well, things are fine. She said, uh, it'll be it'll be fine. So I, I get home like two days later, and uh, where I lived in Connecticut, in western Connecticut, I lived on a plateau. And my drive, the reason I picked this house is because, this is even before I was a, a villain or whatever, 
it was the driveway was called Walnut Lane, and it was a dirt road, and it went back about a quarter of a mile. And then you take a, a sharp left and go up this hill, swerved up, and finally got to the top of this plateau, and there the house was. And the minute I saw it, I, I fell in love with it. I hadn't even seen the house. I said, this is it. This is the one I want. Mm-hmm. So I figured this is going to be hard for anybody to ever find. So my family would be pretty well protected yeah. when, I'm, when I'm gone. So I, I, I get home, and I go up the driveway, and there's this Winnebago at the top of my driveway. How it got up there, I have no <laughs> idea. But they got it up there, and I get out of my car, and four gentlemen walked over to me. They've got uh, coats on, and, and uh, they all come over, introduce themselves, and they open up their jackets, and they're packing weapons. Mm-hmm. And they said, we are uh, security. We've been hired by the uh, WWE to uh, walk the perimeter of your property 24-7, take your children to school, stay with them all day, bring them home, go to the grocery store with your wife, go to the restaurants with your wife and children, with you. And I said, well, I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that, but uh, thank you for being here. So they said, well, we're here till we're told not to be here. So I go on the house and my wife's, you know, got her arms folded and tapping her foot as she should be. And uh, she said, what what is all of this? She said, I'm not having armed guards at my children's school. I'm not having an armed guard you know, behind me pushing a, a shopping cart, shopping cart yeah. and going to the, the hairdresser with me and, and this and that. I said, no, no, we'll, we'll take care of all that. Yeah. You're just here when I'm, when I'm gone. That's all, you know. So mm. she, was, she was fine with that. So I was happy because I had a piece of property that was pretty tough to, to not only find but to walk around. Oh. I had four acres. Yeah, but that's... That's that. that's what you call major heat when we when you've got major people heat. doing that. And so, when you look back, uh, Sergeant WrestleMania Seven, that has to be so many. You had so many great moments, but uh, the peak, I think, of when you look back at uh, you know that what that character, your that Sergeant Slaughter in that ring with Hulk Hogan in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. They wanted to do it. Uh, at the Coliseum, but they couldn't because of security reasons, and ended up doing uh, doing it at the uh, Memorial Sports Arena there. But still, mm-hmm. just I, I think they set records with the pay per view. It was just the the uh, the people that saw it uh, was yeah. That does that stand out? I mean, among all of them. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, uh, with uh, with everything that went on, you know, uh, and as we started to go with Hogan. Uh, aiming for WrestleMania seven and yeah. having a record, you know, one thing as you know in our business and and for those who don't understand in our business, uh, when you have uh, S O next to your name, that means sellout. Yeah, uh, that you sold out the arena. Yeah, if you have uh, something like ninety three thousand <laughs> plus in uh, 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 an arena, that that's pretty impressive yeah. you know, Detroit uh, whoever the main event is I know it was Hogan and, and Andre but there was a lot on that chart but that was a major you know step in the direction where we're at today and to have that you know as a medal of honor on your chest Andre and, and Hogan yeah. were credited with that 
so for me to have with, with Hogan to do 104,000 and uh, only uh, four years later, uh, that, that was what we were shooting for. So yeah. Pitch told me, Sarge, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to say. You do whatever you want to do because I trust you and you know your character. And if you get too far over the line, I'll pull you back. Yeah. I'll pull you back, pull the reins back. So, of course, he gave me, you know, carte blanche. So yeah. there were times, Sean, when, when uh, I'm sure you witnessed it, uh, Saddam Hussein's birthday. I go out and I buy a birthday cake. Oh, man. I take, I take and have the, have it taken out to the ring before my match. Yeah, and get the candles all lit. And here's my music. And here comes General Adnan and I, and uh, and we get in the ring. Of course, we found out after a while we couldn't we couldn't talk on the microphone because people would drown us out. So yeah. I would yeah. have the announcer do it, and I would like order him to say this and say that. Yeah. So I said, uh, you tell him, you know, so. Ladies and gentlemen, Sergeant Slaughter and General Adnan would like you all to know that today is uh, Saddam Hussein's birthday, and they'd like you all to stand up and sing <laughs> happy birthday to uh, yeah. Saddam Hussein. You know? yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, those people wanted to kill me. Oh, so please. we would time it to where well, we start singing happy birthday, and before the people were jumping in the ring, we'd have you know, Rick Rude's music or whoever I was wrestling uh, that night, uh, their music would play, and and they would take over, and the people would be satisfied. They'd be happy. Yeah. So so uh, then there would be uh, one time, uh, well several times, I'd have this piece of paper, and I'd say uh, to the announcer, "You read this," and he'd look at it and go, "I'm not reading that." I yeah. said, "You read it, and I'll put you in the covert clutch." Mm. And he said, "Okay, okay, okay." So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I have been ordered by Sergeant Slaughter General Adnan to read this now. I have not. This is not my words. This is Sergeant Slaughter General. <laughs> so it's a. Uh, for those of you who may or may not know it, today is Veterans Day in Iraq. Oh and God! Slaughter yeah. and I would like you all to stand up and give ten seconds of silence for all the brave Iraqi soldiers who died in the overtake of Kuwait. Oh. Well, you know, I didn't. Have, I don't have to tell you those people before. You know, the the seat was over. They were coming in the ring. Yeah, we'd have the. Whoever I was wrestling, uh, their music would play, and they'd, they'd be happy. But you know, then then I got the bright idea: let's do a uh, a silhouette. You know, let's let's uh, let's go into the studio with a green wall, green green screen, and we'll get a picture of Saddam Hussein, and General Adnan and I will stand on each side of him and look like we're, you know, we're standing there with him. So we do it, and God, it came out oh, perfect, geez. perfect. Yeah. So they 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 put it on television, and before the night was over, Vince came to me and he said, "We can't have put that on the air again." I said, "What happened?" He said, "I got sponsors calling me. I got TV stations calling me. They're all going to cancel. We can't. Don't ever. Don't, we don't ever want to do that. Go that far again. You know." So. I don't know whatever happened to the picture, but somebody in the studio had, had it, probably still has it. I'd love to, to get a hold of it. But but those are the kind of things that we did. And it was just, you know, uh, tongue-in-cheek. And, and we we did uh, different types of uh, matches and different types of uh, things. And then it was time for Hogan and I to get serious. So we started doing these promos. And someone in Vince's 
got in Vince's ear and said, yeah, I don't know if it was Bruce Pritchard or who it was, said, you ought to have the Sarge burn the flag. That'll mm-hmm. really put him in the seats. Yeah. The word came over to me, they want you to burn the American flag. I said, no. no not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I, I will not burn the American flag. So I said, but I tell you, I, I sat and thought about it for a while, and I sent back word, why don't we take, first it was Hogan's uh, poster. Then I said, well, maybe we could take a flag stick and we'll put Hogan's T-shirt on it. Mm-hmm. It says, you know, Alkermania. Yeah. And I'll say that that re- represents Americana. Mm-hmm. And I'll start that on fire. And boy, when we did that. Oh, it gosh. Was, you know, it was over. Was, I think that was the best heat that ever was in in this uh, world of sports entertainment or professional wrestling or whatever you want to call it, the hottest that I ever saw a crowd because I took their their hero, his shirt, and said it was Americana, and I lit that thing on fire. Yeah. If I'd have lit the American flag on fire, those people would have walked out and never come back. Yeah. I mean, they were, when they saw that Hulk Hogan shirt go on fire, they wanted to they wanted to come back and see him kick my butt. Yeah, and, and what a WrestleMania! That yeah, that remains my, my uh, favorite. Uh, just because everything that went into it and where it was, and it was, it was just tremendous. Right. Uh, Sarge, there's so well, you and I, I could talk to you for five hours, but there's I, I want to do some real quick things here as we wrap up here, because well, I just wanted yeah, just before you, you, you cut me off there. Sorry. I just wanted to say how disappointed it was to do all that hard work. The reason I was getting to that, to this point, was that I worked so hard with the Warrior. I worked so hard with Hogan, yeah. and and went through all the, the th- you know, I had three rental cars destroyed. <laughs> I uh, had to have limos take me uh, here and there. I never walked uh, uh, down a, a terminal of an airport. I was always, uh, I'd go off the airplane, down the steps of an airplane. I'd get into a car with, with uh, two uh, police car escorts. Mm. They'd either take me to the arena or take me to my hotel. And I would stay in my hotel, get dressed there. They would call me up and say, okay, you're on next. Mm. I would go on right uh, before intermission. I'd wrestle my match. I'd go back while they're introducing the, uh, you know, intermission and what was coming up. Uh, rematches for the next time they were in that city, I'd be back at my hotel or on my way to the airport, so nobody ever saw me coming or going. Yeah, and, and to go through all that and what my poor, poor family mm. went through—my daughters in school and my wife and and her friends—and and, you know, we were friends with uh, Paul Norman, and he snubbed he snubbed her one night and, and <laughs> said, "Your husband." Yeah, anti-American. I don't know if I can be with you. And it broke her heart. And uh, what they all went through. Uh, and then we get to we get to WrestleMania seven and expected to have this hundred and four thousand seat uh, coliseum filled to the rafters, and then be told, you know, two weeks before Vince said he called me and said it's going to cost three to four million dollars to secure the uh, coliseum. Mm-hmm. He said I told him no. He said, we're going indoors. We're going to go into the L.A., you know, arena. And he said, well, pay-per-view will be tremendous. And, of course, as you said, we had the biggest pay-per-view of all time for many years. 
and uh, it wasn't. I've heard stories. Oh, uh, it wasn't over. The angle wasn't over. Uh, Slaughter didn't have enough heat on him, and Hogan wasn't hot enough, and, and that's all BS. The whole reason we didn't go in the Coliseum is because it was going to cost three to four million dollars to go in there, yeah. and Vince didn't want to start out three or four million in the hole. So you know that that's the reason we you know did did go in there and. It was just a very real disappointment to both Hogan and I mm. to work that hard, especially me, you know, for what I went through before I got to him and not to be able to put that S.O. sold out next to my name and his for 104000 which would have been the you know, all-time, all-time record. Mm. And uh, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. I-, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we just... Uh... We saw each other at the All In and the Starcast event uh, that took place, you know, just outside of Chicago, and uh, I wanted to hear your thoughts on these young people that you saw there. These uh, the young Bucks and Cody Rhodes and uh, Marty Skrull, who uh, you know have half their income is like merchandise. These guys are small businesses, kind of on their own. Uh, do mm-hmm. you like what you're seeing with with these group, this group, this uh, these independents, and who are changing the world uh, uh, professional wrestling in a way what what's your view of it all well i was kind of the uh i guess the pioneer in that also yeah so uh, i was saying uh, not only not only did i uh cause vince you know as my attorney says vince ought to thank us and i'm sure he does every day that that we brought this to his attention that he trademarks everything that he does now yeah if uh, unless unless it's their own name he can't do that but he makes a deal with them, and uh, he owns, you know, 100% of all the uh, uh, characters and the trademarks, and, and we, 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 all, we all taught each other a lesson, and uh, I was the first one when I left the WWE or WWF, I was out there all by myself. I had nowhere to, to go. I didn't have any uh, wrestling places I wanted to go, but my character was red hot. Red Hot. So I started uh, booking myself in the independent uh, circuit. Mm-hmm. And I was making, you know, almost more money uh, with them and having days off. and Total freedom. And, uh, and a lot of freedom. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and not uh, just uh, it started everybody looking at it differently. Like, we can we survive without, you know, a major... Uh, league as the WWE is or you know how, what do we do in between you know now that it's pretty much one one uh, basket uh, but I, I I went to the uh, star cast not knowing uh, what well, I should say I signed up to be at the star cast not knowing that there was a wrestling match mm. involved yeah. And I'm not sure if I would have did it if I had known that the wrestling match was involved. I was just called by a, a independent uh, person that they'd like to hire me to sign autographs for two or three days mm-hmm. at the Starcast uh, wrestling convention. I said, "Well, I'll tell you one thing: I can't go into uh, any uh, arenas, or I can't, you know, have any logos. I still work for the WWE. I'm their ambassador." I work hard uh, doing their charities. I, I work hard uh, promoting their product, my 
do TVs, radios, newspapers, mm-hmm. promoting their product, the, the pay-per-views, the televisions, the, the superstars. Uh, and I, I don't want any problem with somebody running a camera with a logo behind me that's not WWE. Right. Oh, that's that's good. That's no problem. So, so I didn't know until I got uh, about two weeks. I looked it up on the uh, the social media, and I saw this big match was you know being talked about with Cody uh, Rhodes and all that. And uh, I thought, well, boy, it got a pretty good crowd coming. They said something like ten thousand people. Yeah. And uh, when I saw that they were you know doing that i said well thank god i didn't agree to go to the, the matches yeah well they were two separate they were two separate events one was at a, a hotel and the other was at the you know the arena the sears right. center right. so and they were right. two separate venues but i what did you what, what do you think of these young these young kids that are well, kind of I, taking I, their I'm destiny happy, in their I'm hands happy for them i'm happy for them yeah and uh i'm glad that they're they're doing well it it might be you know might only happen a few times i hope it does well for them all the time but they got to remember that the only reason that they're there and that i was at the Starcast to sign autographs and all those guys that were at the Starcast from the top of the the heap to the bottom yeah making uh money uh, selling our, our autographs and and our pictures and and everything like that there's there's one person to thank for all that, and that's Vince McMahon. Mm. Vince McMahon is the reason that we were all there because he started all that. He he took it. He took a a, a chance. He you know he, we as I said we were we were friends. We used to travel together. He would talk to me about the future mm. cable television. Yeah. I said, What's cable television? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, pay per view. What's a pay per view? Mm. That's the future, Sarge. That's the future. Yeah. We're going that way. That's the way I'm going. And you know, I got told uh, a couple of times. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to get a check this week or next week, but uh, you know, you're going to get paid. You know, but right now it's it's a little tight. You know, mm-hmm. so I stuck. I stuck with him. I, I dug the foxhole with Vince, and I wasn't going anywhere. Uh, went through the war with him with WCW. I dug the foxhole deeper all those guys got contracts left him that, that he you know, he made millions of dollars and they just got uh you know given this uh contracts of all this money and they and loyalty meant nothing they all they all left him i i stayed you know yeah. a few of us stayed yeah and and uh you know whether that's remembered why i'm still working for him or not, but you know, I was in the trenches, you know, and using my knowledge as best I could to to help us win that war. And uh, until Vince decided to go uh, attitude era, you know, we were, you know, we were fighting. Yeah, we were fighting for our lives to, yeah. to keep uh, keep one foot in the foxhole, one out. But I wasn't going anywhere. Huh. I was going down with the ship. And, and uh, the worst thing that the uh, WCW did was was to they were live and we were being taped and they were telling everybody what was going on in our shows and people started turning channels to see what was going on in our shows you know yeah so it just uh it was a uh strike against them and a strike for us and, and i'm just proud 
to know that I, I was there and I helped and I brought in a lot of characters uh, that are still with us today that yeah. were in a box of, a box of tapes, letters, wannabes that I went through. I went through in the office, J.J. Uh, uh, Dillon. I went into the office. I said, what can I do? You know, he took me into an office. There were like five or six boxes of, of these wannabe things. And he said, why don't you go through those and see what, what you find? Well, you know, I found quite a, quite a few. Yeah. Undertaker beat one. You know, he was Mark Kellos down in WCW. Uh, they weren't using him much. And he wrote a letter and sent a tape that he'd like to join the WWF. And I took it to Vince. I said, I got, you know, of all the many that I found, I had, I had, uh, Sean Waltman. Yeah, one, two, three, uh, kid. Yeah, he was down in uh, down in Texas somewhere, and I, I took it to Vince, and, and Vince, Vince looked at it, and he said, well, he's a little small, Sarge. I said, yeah, but the kids at work. Look at him, watch. Hmm. And so Vince got tired of, you know, seeing, uh, you know, Billy and Bart Gunn and, and uh, uh, Adam Baum and, and Taz and, and all these tapes I was bringing to him. He finally said, Sarge, if you think they're worth a tryout, bring him in. <laughs> so I took Mark Call uh, uh, Calloway to him, and he said, Sarge, I told you, if you think he's good, bring him in. So I brought Mark in hmm. to uh, Rochester, New York. He uh, came in. I said, just uh, get, a, get a place to sit, and uh, we're going to use you like the first or second match, and uh, we'll, take, we'll tape it. We want Eric. And we'll take a look at it. I appreciate you being here. So, got time. I said, if you know anybody here that you'd want to work with, you go grab them and see if you can work out a real good match. So, second match of the night, he's out there. And I'm on the headset up in the gorilla position, talking to the referees and kind of giving the guys some pointers in the ring. You know, I'm giving Mark Calloway a pointer. <laughs> and so, uh, so all of a sudden, my one of my ear uh, earpieces goes up on my uh, headset and I hear this voice Sarge where'd you find this guy <laughs> and I turn of course it's Vince McMahon's yeah. voice yeah. I, I turned him I said in a box of tapes yeah. and he goes hmm he said uh, send it to my office when you when you get done <laughs> I said okay so Mark comes back and he said how did I do I said oh, Vince McMahon wants to talk to you he goes, did I do something wrong? And I said, no, I think you did something right, yeah. kid. <laughs> so I took him down, introduced him to Vince, and he's been there ever since. Yeah, the rest so, is history. You know, just one, one, one small story, uh, you know. And I, every time I see Mark, I said, I haven't seen my ten percent check yeah. in the mail. Yeah. And uh, of course, I never will. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's just it's fun seeing somebody that you saw in a box. Yeah. Uh, and or a letter or you know and and brought them in to to be where they are today i mean it's just it's gratifying yeah well and, and uh, first, one of big show's first matches i was his tanking partner oh wow a little place in new jersey he, he got trained by larry sharp and uh larry said i want to put you in a tag match with this kid see if you think of him i said larry you got something here Better hang on to him. You better sign him up. Don't let him go. Yeah. 
Incredible. Uh, Joe already told me it. Yeah. I said, you're going to want to stay in this business? He says, yeah, I'm going down to WCW next week. <laughs> I said, oh, good luck to you. Yeah. See you again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You did. And, and of course, the ultimate reward uh, for all that you have done in loyalty and what you accomplished in the ring in and out, uh, your induction into the WWE Hall of Fame. And it's just uh, an amazing career, yeah. uh, Sarge. And yep. I yep. tell you, it has to be. It's been a, it's been a good run so far. <laughs> so far. Really good. You know, there's a, a few that I like to see get in yet that I haven't gotten in. And uh, I was I was lucky. I was uh, I was put in the Hall of Fame when I was still working. I mean, I I was at a uh, I think we were in uh, where were we? Uh, State College. We were doing a, a TV taping there, and uh, after we had our uh, uh, production meeting, I went to uh, do something. I left the uh, room. And uh, as I was making my way back, they were emptying out, and everybody kept coming up to me and going, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. I said, what happened? They said, uh, well, they, they're going to do a Hall of Fame at the next Madison Square Garden pay-per-view, and uh, you've been inducted. You're going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. I said, really? They, I said, how did that happen? They said, well, they went around the room, and they said, is there anybody here that you think is deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. And uh, Triple H raised his hand and said, I think Sergeant Slaughter should be in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was told that uh, Hunter had uh, nominated me and they, it was unanimous, uh, I was more than uh, <laughs> uh, like a little a baby when I when I saw him. Couldn't thank him enough. And, and that was before he was really involved in, in much of it. Yeah, and but, he knew he he knew that or thought that much of me to to think that I should be in the Hall of Fame when uh, you know I wasn't, wasn't even through working yet. So and uh, so it, it was it was great. It was fun. It was, they say it was probably the best class that they, they ever had. Unfortunately, there were so many of us that uh, you know it kept going on and on and on and and uh, you know we had to. A lot of things he wanted to say had to be wrapped up, and, and but but I said pretty much what I wanted to say, and and uh, just I'm very honored every day that I uh, have my ring on and I wear my ring, pretty much every day, and I know that uh, I was I'm a part of uh, something pretty tremendous in the world of sports entertainment, as all the independents out there uh, before us, now and in the future. Uh, thank you, Vince McMahon, and, and your family, and all that uh, you've done for all of us uh, to be where we are today. And and I just hope that there's something I can do beyond what I'm doing today to to say thank you. I mean, we we mended our our fences, and we're, uh, we're we're fine, and we just learn from each other, and that's all you can do. And and that's one thing. It's what man does is he he learns he he learns each and every day and and he doesn't think about yesterday he's always thinking about tomorrow yeah and uh, there and I, I I said it humorously a couple of times at some Hall of Fame uh, inductions where I was interviewed and they they asked me about you know the future and I said well 
with Vince McMahon uh, behind the helm, uh, I won't be surprised if we have a WrestleMania on Mars someday. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's probably going to happen. You know? <laughs> it's, it's just uh, going so so huge. And I'm just happy for everybody that's involved in it now and has been involved in it and that I've learned from and that learned from me and, and that I can teach down the road. It just uh, just gratifying that uh, you know all this that I did was for something, you know. Yeah, yeah, not bad for a marine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did okay. Hoorah! <laughs> Hoorah! And uh, th- Sarge, really, it's been uh, an honor to to talk with you. I'm glad you. Uh, I really appreciate you giving me so much time, and I would be honored if you you cut a promo on me as we cut out of this. <laughs> okay. All right. Let me see what I can do. You know. You know, I met uh, eight presidents, so this should be pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> and you, uh, when you get asked to the White House and, and things like that, you know, you you start thinking that you're somebody. But uh, yeah, I met uh, Carter, uh, Nixon, Ford, Reagan. Oh, Reagan loved uh, you. Bush, yeah, Bush Senior, Clinton, yeah. uh, Obama, and of course we all. Well, we all met Trump at WrestleManias, but yeah. but to, to, to know that you met eight presidents and, that, and who your audience is out there, you know, when when a president of the United States invites you to the White House and knows who you are, yeah. I mean, I, I went to uh, went to this thing for Ronald Reagan that I was invited to, my wife and I, and, and there was a two hundred celebrities that were invited with their spouses, and we we spent the whole weekend there, and we we. Uh, go into this room right before the big dinner for him to have a re-election. Uh, and uh, they said, okay, everybody in this room, and uh, you go up on the podium there, and uh, the president's going to come in and take pictures. So my wife and I, of course, we're in the back. John Studd's up there with us. We're the two biggest guys there, so we're we're way, way, way up on top. So I can barely see him, but I see what I think is President Reagan walking in. So here he comes. He walks in, says hello to Joan Rivers, who's down in front, and a couple other celebrities, and he invited each one of these by himself. You know, mm. not so much that he called them, but he had his people called. Yeah. But he, they were, we were all hand picked. So to be hand picked to be there was, I know John Studd was was there because he lived in uh, Alexandria and had friends uh, that were running a campaign. But so. We took the picture, and he turned around and waved at us and left. And I said to my wife, geez, that wasn't very, wasn't really uh, a great picture with, with the president. But, oh, well. So we get in line, get down off the podium. So, and they said, okay, everybody, uh, spouses this line, celebrities this line. The celebrities go out there, you'll see your name on the table, and you sit there. And you'll be with, you know, fundraisers and people that are, you know, donating money to uh, the re-election of President Reagan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're, the, of course, we're the last ones in line. And uh, so this guy comes over with a headset on. He says, uh, Mr. Remus? I said, yes. Is this your wife? I said, yeah, this is Diane. This is my wife. He says, well, will you follow us? Follow me? And I said, well, I can't. i got to go out here to the table. We'll get you out there, sir. Just you and your wife will you? follow me I said, okay so we go 
follow him for a while, and we go around this corner, and we go through this doorway, and there's President Reagan standing there. <laughs> and, and my wife and I are like dumbfounded. We walk in, and we almost fell over each other, and there's Ronald, President Ronald Reagan standing hmm. from from me to this phone, you know. And uh, he goes, Sergeant Slaughter. He said, I've wanted to meet you for a long time. <laughs> I said, sir, he goes, Sergeant Slaughter, I've wanted to meet you for a long time. He said, uh, in fact, I was wondering if you could put me in the Cobra clutch. <laughs> and and I, I said, well, yeah. I, and as I made my way to him, he, and the, the Secret Service guys go, no, 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 Mr. <laughs> No touching. That's not a real good idea. <laughs> oh, 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 okay, well, how about if I drop down and give you some push-ups? So he goes down and do some push-ups and, and of course, the Secret Service. No, 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 Mr. President, we don't think that's such a good idea, you know. Uh, why don't you just take get a picture with them and, and uh, oh, okay, okay. So we we talked, and and uh, he said, uh, Sarge, I am going to fly the American flag over the Capitol in your honor Jeez. Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, wow. And I said, oh, that's quite an honor. He said, for all the work that you do for patriotism and for the good old U.S. of A. Mm. And I'm honored that you could find time out of your schedule, you and your wife, to be here with me as I go for re-election. I said, sir, it's an honor to be here with you. So finally they said, President, you, we, we have to uh, get going. And oh. uh, okay, we would have talked all day. But So anyway, we go back out there and I'm making my way to... Uh, where I'm supposed to go, and the Secret Service catches up to me, and he says, uh, "Sir, uh, your wife is going to go sit where you were going to sit. She'll be at your table, but the president has requested that you be on the podium with him." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So you you come with me." So I go out another door and go out there, and I get up on the podium, and and my wife and I are the only ones that met the president that day that I know. Of. I uh, mean, face to face like that. And uh, so I finally sit down and there's some other dignitaries up there. And I finally see my wife and she's sitting down and shaking hands with all the people and explaining why she's there and I'm not. And so finally she sits down and I get her eye and, and I'm waving at her. Hey, yay. <laughs> yeah, guess who we just met? All kind of you other people met him, you know. And, uh, all right. So we're kind of giggling with each other, and uh, so here come some people, and they do speeches, and they talk about the president and his re-election. And pretty soon here comes the music, and here comes the president. Comes up on the podium and walks by and shakes hands with everybody. And comes by me, gives me a salute, shakes my hand, thanks me again for being there. And, and so he starts doing his speech, and, and he gets about halfway through his speech, and he goes, and if they think that they're going to beat me for re-election for the president of the United States, that'd be like Beaver Cleaver beating my friend over here, Sergeant Slaughter, in a wrestling match. Mm. It ain't going to happen. And I said, did, did he just say my name? You know, so so uh, he does the uh, end of speech, comes over again, thanks me again, thanks me, salutes me again, pretends he's going to go do a push-up, and he, he Gets up and he laughs. He said, "No, no, I just can't. I'm just kidding." So off he walks, and uh, so I the, the 
the party's over. I go to get off the porn and meet my wife. And fellow comes up to me. He goes, uh, Sergeant Slaughter? I said, yep. He said, here's the uh, speech that President Reagan just uh, spoke. He, he wanted you to have it, and he autographed it for you. So I, I have that. Wow. That is incredible. I have that. I just saw it back the other day in <clears> one of my uh, storage boxes. So of all of, of the uh, eight presidents that I met, that's one story I can tell you. The others would probably take a little longer. Well, uh, sorry. That wasn't I... long enough. You <laughs> just trying to get me to, to put you in your place for seven hours so far. Yeah. <laughs> it's a three-part series. No, but really, uh, it's really been awesome. I uh, we have been trying to get together for a while, and uh, we have a, a mutual friend that we share uh, with in Lord Alfred Hayes, and uh, it's just incredible yep. to hear the stories that uh, you have from your journey. It's just been amazing, yep. and I really want to thank you. Well, I tell you what, your 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 brother Ian was a much better looking guy than you. Were. <laughs> but people uh, liked him uh, more. I don't know. Why. I don't see him much anymore. No. Uh, that bum, I don't talk to him anymore. It's been a long time. <laughs> you owe your money? That was, that was my one chance to be a heel, Sarge, and they didn't let me. Yeah, yeah, that was, be, yeah. that was fun. You know, I, I actually thought you had a twin brother for a, a few weeks. <laughs> wow. I really did. I must yeah. have been I, did, I, did, I wasn't privy to it. I wasn't in the studios. And, and uh, until I got to the studio and realized that it's the same guy. <laughs> Yeah. No, I pitched I, to, I, I pitched I, I, to Bruce. I'm like, Bruce, let me, you know, let me have. We'll do like a split screen thing, and I'll come out and like I'll I'll smash a a chair over over Sean's head, and then I'll yeah. take over the event center. How much fun can that be? And they yeah. they just didn't they yeah. didn't buy it. Vince didn't go yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let me do a pro on you and uh, and uh, see what we can do here. Hmm. Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. Pay the attention when I'm speaking to you, boy. Thank you very much for having me on your show. And uh, please call me again. Call me on the horn. Let's do this again. It's been fun. And uh, until then, if there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Now that was a conversation with Sergeant Slaughter, but I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Maybe you had to listen to it in two parts, but uh, there was a lot in that conversation. One thing that just uh, impresses me incredibly is that uh, he's the real deal. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter was a Marine. He was a drill sergeant, so he had a lot of experience there, but what a tremendous character, and he really is a true patriot. He spends a lot of his time uh, helping out a lot of these organizations for veterans and uh, other organizations for kids. Uh, he just is an incredible guy. And um, I remember back in the day that, um, you know, I was around Lord Alfred Hayes and Alfred used to tell me uh, just what a great guy he was and how much he really loved the fact that his character had such an impact on people that, uh, you know, he actually could help make a difference in a lot of ways. So uh, Sergeant Slaughter is uh, certainly, uh, he was one of my favorites back then, and he still is today, and he's still working with the WWE and goes to all these events, and he's doing really well. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Mac Weldon. And remember, when you place your first order, you're going to get 20% off. Just go to MacWeldon.com 
and enter the promo code PRIMETIME, that's P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E, and you're going to get 20% off your first order. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and so much more that you will ever wear. Got another conversation coming up next week. Uh, we are scheduled to talk to Tully Blanchard uh, and uh, hear what he has to say about a uh, fantastic career that he had, the ups and the downs. And we're going to hear it all from Tully. I can't wait for that one. Thanks again for tuning in. And I will see you next time. Let me do that. Let me do that again. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. For Primetime, I'm Sean Mooney, and I'm out. <laughs>